This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. Where the heck did they go behind us? So we had a little <laughs> hockey practice going on. We had all the ambiance and everything, don't man. Don't leave the ice. We need a little background music here. Or at least a little background theater. Well, if you need me to make as much noise as, you know, 12 hockey players out there, I can try my best. I'm I would sure like it's gonna you work. to go out there. You have your skates and everything. Just go out and do a triple Lutz for me, okay? Uh, that's, that's more of like figure skating, but I can try it for the show. If that's going to get the views, I can try it, man. Just don't put on the tight little uh, leotard. Or oh, no, no. Well, I, I can rock cool. that, Brent. Oh. Don't worry about that. I think <laughs> I think I have the chassis to rock that kind oh, of thing. Oh, yeah. Yes, you do. It's Please all don't. Good. You're not Josh Allen. <laughs> that I am are. not. I am not Black Panther. No, I'm not, I'm not Black Panther. Uh, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Jacksonville Iceman. Well, post-game. Yeah. Big game this morning. Over 12,000 people. Great showing. Iceman lost. But you know what? Sometimes it's about wins and losses. Most of the times it is. But sometimes it's about setting record crowds. And they had all the kids here at 1030 this morning. That was pretty awesome. And uh, we figured, you know what, let's come on out. We'll show you some highlights a little bit later on, too. We'll have some interviews. Jacksonville Iceman really have a big home weekend coming up. And it's like now it feels like hockey season is here in Jacksonville after this morning, Friday, Saturday. Got some games. So we'll talk a little bit about it. Of course, we'll talk a lot about football, too, and everything else going on in the world of sports. Last day for Austin here this week. He gets inducted into the Murray State Hall of Fame this weekend. We're not taking that show on the road, which we probably should. We, we should have, man. It would have been a great time. Had a little barbecue. Had uh, There's this famous place called Salmon's Bakery. When we had Quincy Williams on, he was talking about right, that. Yeah. So we had a, had a couple donuts and everything. But, uh, yeah, you guys are going to be missing out. And I'm not going to get stuff to go. So, unfortunately, you have to try it some other time. Mm, uh, hopefully, you can call in from there tomorrow. Brett oh, Martino, Austin Lane. Coos back in the studios. And, again, a uh, little hockey. We've got our, your Iceman shirt from the 690 night from last I year. I do. I do. Hang mine up. I brought mine, too. You yep. do have your skates. The question is, will they let you out there on the ice to, to skate around yeah. and me on the Zamboni to clean up your mess? <laughs> Well, as you see in the ice, it's pretty chewed up right now, so you may have to get out there regardless, Brent. But, uh, yeah, I think there's a way on the ice, man. There's a door right over there. So maybe between one of the breaks, I can hurry up and uh, get on the ice and skate around a little bit and, uh, once again, get those views up. All right. I like it. Uh, so very good. We're going to be here for the next few hours, and then we, of course, uh, have are heading over to Jaguars All Access tonight at Mellow Mushroom at Avondale. We'll have Najee Good along with Calais Campbell as we get set for this next football game. And as we get a little closer and closer to this football game, the more and more we talk about it for the Jacksonville Jaguars, you realize how big of a game it is. I mean, I know everybody does anyway, but as it inches closer and it feels like it's coming up and now we're, you know, whatever, four days away, three days away, uh, this is a massive football game for the Jags. I mean, we, I thought the one against Houston was. But it didn't mean season ender. This one coming up means you are uh, so far on the outside looking in at the postseason that there's a really good chance it doesn't happen unless you do something miraculous. So that's kind of where we're at with the Jacksonville Jaguars. That's how important this football game is. There's a good feeling in that building, good feeling around Nick Foles. But good feelings only count unless you end up on the winning side of the scoreboard on Sunday afternoon. It's a massive game for the Jags. It, it is a massive game, Brennan. They kind of announced yesterday a little bit that Jacoby Brissett, starting quarterback now of the Indianapolis Colts, is trending towards playing. Yeah, he right? practiced so, full yesterday. Yeah, so that's going to be a big upgrade them, you know, from them uh, coming back from the Dolphins game where they got beat. So you're, you're going to take on a Colts team for for the most part who's going to be at full strength. Obviously, missing T.Y. Hilton is going to be huge for them, and that, that gives the Jaguars a huge advantage on defense. 
defense. But it's like you said, Brent, this is a must-win game, a division opponent. Um, you know, you guys are in the thick of things right now, so it, it's, a, it's a crucial game, probably the most – we always say it, it's the most important game of the season. I think I said that against Cincinnati. I said it in London against Houston, and now I'm going to say it again. This is the most important game of the season. Yeah, Jaguars have to be able to get it done, and uh, we'll see if they are able to get it done. And a lot comes on Nick Foles. And one of the things we're going to do today is uh, take a look at Nick Foles back with the Philadelphia Eagles when he came in, made that run all the way to the Super Bowl. And while I think that's a little outlandish to think he could do that now, all we're talking about is can he get the Jags to the playoffs? Forget about the Super Bowl for now. Can he put them in a position to make the playoffs? Like I continue to say, can you get to week 17 of the NFL season? Chance, even if you need a little help. But if you beat Indianapolis here at home last game of the year, can he get you in that spot? Can he help you get in that spot? Can the rest of the team do it? So we'll compare a little bit of what that team looked like mm-hmm. in Philadelphia when he jumped in there for Carson Wentz. Now, admittedly, they were a very good football team. I think they were 11-2 and at the time that he came in. But maybe even last year a little bit. The team that he had last year, which was not as good, and they had to roll off some wins late just to make the playoffs and, and get to 9-7. and seven. That's yeah. probably more likely the scenario that he comes into more last year than a couple years ago when they won the Super Bowl. And, and that's the most important part, Brent, is the fact that it's not just him. You know, It's not just Nick Foles willing the Jacksonville Jaguars to the playoffs this year. Because if you go back to when he played for Philly, he had a great team around him. And, and when I kind of compare that 2017 season, the season they won the Super Bowl, and I compare to the roster now in the Jaguars, you're going to see some things that are different. You're going to see some similarities. But my point is the fact that this is bigger than Nick Foles. Yes, Nick Foles has to play great football. He has to play football where he doesn't turn the ball over, and he has to lead that offense. He has to drive the football down the field. But at the same time, he still needs his defense to show up. He still needs that ground attack to be there. So it's not just Nick Foles, and it wasn't just Nick Foles in Philly. Absolutely not. So uh, we'll see what Nick Foles can do. We're going to talk about that a little bit more here for some folks as well in that Jags locker room here from uh, DeFilippo. And, and that relationship, yesterday was big conversation about the relationship between him and Frank Reich in terms of Foles and Frank Reich. Well, we know this relationship between John DeFilippo. It's so funny. I was thinking of this last night after the show. I feel like we're reminding everybody of the conversations we had in the summer months, especially like late July going into camp in August and what this was supposed to look like for Nick Foles. And here we are again and kind of resetting a lot of those conversations. Why? Because we, we kind of forgot about it. I mean, yeah. it, it, it feels new. This feels like a new start. You forget he played 10 or 11 snaps. You almost forget that he was here all spring and forget that he was around in training camp. And part of that was because it was practices. Again, he played, what, three series in that Miami game, and that was it in the preseason? I mean, we really haven't seen Nick Foles play football for the Jacksonville Jaguars outside of the practice field. So I think while a little bit of this, at least as we talk about it, kind of is like I, I feel like we've done this before, it almost deserves a reset to remember where we were. And part of that, a big credit to uh, Gardner Minshew, because he made everybody forget about a lot of that conversation yeah. for a good portion of two months. It's been a huge credit to Minshew. And at, from that standpoint, Brent, like you kind of said, we kind of forgot about Nick Foles a little bit. I'll be honest, I didn't even know who Nick Foles was until two weeks ago again. I mean, that's just the way it is. <laughs> but from that perspective, with Nick Foles now, you have to ask the question. It's the most important question probably of this Sunday is, what Nick Foles is going to show up? Is he going to have the rust on him? You know, is is he going to be um, a little hesitant to get back out there? And and it's an interesting question because if you look at it, the span of his career and you take away the, the one year with Chip Kelly and then that new school, you know, kind of uh, offense that kind of took this league by storm for one year, and then teams got hip to the game. But if you look at Nick Foles, he's coming off he's coming off the bench all the time, right? And he hasn't really played in a full season. So from that perspective where you want to say, well, is he going to have rust on him? 
Well, if you go back to 2017, yeah, sure, he practiced the entire season, but he didn't play in the games until it counted, until the playoffs and everything like that, and the same thing last year. So, you know, to say, is he going to have rust on him? If Nick Foles has one thing going for him right now, it's the track record showing that the guy doesn't get rust because the guy's been on the bench countless times, and he comes in, and he puts up pretty good performances. So this Sunday, I wouldn't expect much rust from Nick Foles. Now, the, the biggest question, obviously, is he 100% healthy? And like I said before, I'm no doctor, um, but I know that if you break a bone, it's better to break a bone than it is to, you know, tear a, tear a, like something in your knee because then it's like, oh, is it back? Is it better? No. Once that bone is healed, it's healed and it's stronger than it was before. So I think Nick Foles will be 100%. And I don't think we'll, we'll see a lot of rust on Nick Foles coming in yeah, Sunday. If anything else, has fresh legs, probably. You know, it's all, yeah. I mean, it feels pretty good. This time of the season, nobody feels good. Nick sure. Foles might feel pretty good yeah. this time of the season. Every bit counts. Listen, you can't put too much into any of this stuff, but I think every little bit counts. And the more you are successful, the more that stuff plays out. Like, yeah, well, he looks really fresh. I mean, he looks really healthy. It looks like this has been great. You know, if they win games, if they lose, it's like, well, he was rusty. <laughs> that's, yeah. the, that's the way the narrative goes. I mean, that's the way it's going to go. We don't know. It's a flip of the coin. I think this is the most difficult game maybe of the season to pick because we have no idea what Nick Foles is going to bring this offense. We really don't. And then we really have no idea what Jacoby Brissett's going to bring their offense, how healthy he will be without T.Y. Hilton struggling out of Vinatieri. I think the Colts are a big mystery. From the three weeks ago where I thought they'd be 7-2 and two, to now where I don't know if they'll lose three in a row now. Pittsburgh, the Dolphins, and the Jags sure, certainly feels like that could happen. So I think it's a difficult game to really grab you're, you're put your teeth around and say, I think this is going to happen, like with a lot of confidence. And right now the Colts are uh, three-point favorites. One other thing, and we talked about this yesterday, it, it was kind of cool to see Foles preaching yesterday, right? We talked about it. Yeah. That thing went all over the place, right? <laughs> Everybody yeah. got wind of that. Even Jalen yeah. Ramsey jumped in on that. Sure. But I thought Tony Dungy did. I think you see Kurt Warner, I just saw, he tweeted about it, or maybe it's just coming up in my feed, but it might have been yesterday. Yeah. Um, you know, I thought it was interesting how that was perceived and from people inside the football world. You know, again, this isn't this is less about to me religion and, and faith and more about a guy who's at peace of where he's at, even when things aren't great. Mm-hmm. And it takes a little bit of time in your career, I think, in any career, but probably as a football player, especially in that position to get to that point. And uh, I said to somebody yesterday, I said, would Nick Foles feel the same way, react the same way as he did yesterday and as he's done for these last couple months if this was six years ago? And I've got to believe, and I don't know Nick Foles well enough, but I've got to believe the answer to that is no. I think some of those trials and tribulations and things you go through personally and on the field and off the field all factor into where he is in his frame of mind and able to handle things uh, now. And and kind of what I, I keep going back, that, that sense of peace. You don't really see that, in a, I guess, in a player very often. You, you might feel that with a guy that is about to retire and say, hey, he's got a piece about him ready to retire. Then there's other guys like Paul Leslie. He's like, I don't know if he'll ever find that piece of retiring no, for <laughs> because sure. he wants to play so bad. Dude's so, got to start coaching, man. I'm, so, I'm telling him. You know, so it's, it's an interesting dynamic of almost the psyche of an NFL player from afar, you know, because we get to watch. It's, it's a little window into Nick Foles, and as we continue to learn more and more about this guy and now coming off his latest setback, uh, that, that quote that he had yesterday, that little sermon, as he called it, mm-hmm. uh, really – 
really took the NFL by storm. Everybody was talking about it. Well, I think it did because it kind of peeled back the curtain of Nick Foles a little bit because this is a guy who has been quiet in the media. He hasn't done a lot of interviews. He's just chose to focus on his first year in Jacksonville just on his teammates, you know, and being the best quarterback that he can be. And doing that, it revolved around him not giving us the interviews, you know, not giving the camera time. And I understand that. But what we saw yesterday, like you said, it was a little peek to who Nick Foles really is. Now, in the NFL, I don't tell anybody this, but they already know. It's the fact that there's some guys that when they get in front of the camera they put on this facade Mm -hmm. it's not real either it's for branding it's for just trying to make themselves look better what you saw from Nick Foles in that press conference I think that was a real Nick Foles you know and and um he he was 100% transparent and and I respect that because like we talked about yesterday he knows who he is and if you know who you are I think you have a better chance of succeeding in the NFL than if you don't. Yeah, and no matter how you feel about that side of it, that part of it, like, ah, it's a little too much, or ah, I love that, that was awesome, that doesn't matter. I think what it lends to is how much his teammates will believe in him going into this football game. Sure. And not just that, by the way. There's a lot of hidden things that we haven't seen. I'm just saying you can feel that. You can you can hear it in the voices of the players we interview and talk to, and I think you can see it almost, that they are going to buy into Nick Foles coming Sunday, even though they haven't seen him play a down since... September 8th or well, right. Well, and here's the biggest thing, man. The biggest way to win over locker room, be a starting quarterback, is win. Actions will always speak louder than words. All right. Jacksonville Iceman uh, lose today, but in front of a record crowd, we're hanging out on the ice or close to the ice. Join us, Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. When we come back, Austin, I want you to tell me how they are going to look different on Sunday with Foles and Flip. And we're going to bring John Filippo into the conversation when we come back on ESPN 690. So I really don't have enough information to answer that question because I looked at it just as Brissett was there and going and then we know if he doesn't go and then and Brian Hoyer goes and we know that he's a good quarterback and he gets you know when he gets hot he can light you up and I've, I've played against you know Brian before and I have a ton of respect for him you alright there? you yeah. ready? yeah I mean you all dressed up now? well yeah I get my skates on man it takes a while jeez <laughs> He's a guy, I mean, he just changed in. You missed the sca- You missed the dropping of the puck. That was this morning at 1030. <laughs> well, I can't, go, I can't take advantage, man. Dude, if we're at the PGA, t- PGA Tour Superstar right now, you know, dang well between the breaks, you'd be hitting the driving range or whatever and doing that. So I figured if I'm going to be here, I'm going to skate a little bit. All right. Brent Martin, Austin Lane. You just heard from Doug Marone as they get ready for Jacoby Brissett and the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, is it okay if I just kind of like, yeah, whatever, on Jacoby Brissett? I, I mean, has he done a better job than anybody thought he'd do? Did he make a great play in that game a couple weeks back? Uh, who was that he escaped? Von Miller, I think, in the Broncos. But I just, I don't know, I just don't get worried about Jacoby Brissett. I mean, should I be? Am I downplaying that? Am I overlooking that? Is he better than I think he is? Um, I think, he, I don't call him a game manager. Because I think he's more than that, Brent. I think the the Colts record right now would indicate that. But let me ask you this question. How many dual threat guys have the Jaguars played against, and how's that gone for the Jaguars so far? Yeah, uh, not good. Well, Deshaun Watson every time. Correct. Um, who am I missing? I mean, I, w- I don't think Patrick Mahomes is a dual threat, but I think he's more of he's a... He's mobile. He's mobile. And, and really, I, th- I look at Jacoby Brissett more like that. 
I mean, Jacoby Brissett is less Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson and more Mahomes no. in terms of being well, mobile. Absolutely. You know, I mean, he's but, gonna, he can run around, but he's not going to really. It's not like he's going to take off and run seven times for sixty-five yards. But I'm saying when you pass rush him, you have to have gap integrity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I get, I get it. I'm just saying, I, I don't. I guess that's the part of it. It's all relative, right? If sure. you take the NFL and you take the quarterbacks you're going to play in a season, and it started out to be Patrick Mahomes. Uh, Cam Newton, Drew Brees, Deshaun Watson twice, uh, really at the beginning, beginning, uh, Andrew Luck, <laughs> you know, Philip Rivers, uh, who am I missing? Matt Ryan. You know, you're playing those kind of quarterbacks. Now, again, they didn't play Cam Newton, they didn't play Drew Brees. Jacoby Brissett, to me, is just a guy in that conversation, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's kind of how I feel about it. So, and, and especially you take away T.Y. Hilton and you don't have some of the receivers that they have. I, I just don't feel like there's a dynamic nature to the Colts, and, and I don't know if they would even sell you on that. I think they want to beat you up up front. They want to run the ball, control the ball. You know, I do every week for Jaguars.com kind of my thoughts on how the Jaguars will win and how the Colts will win. Sure. And my take on the Colts, if they are going to win this football game, it's almost like they have to be ahead on time possession, time of possession. Mm. Almost as simple as that. Like, if they do that, that doesn't equate all the time, but if if they do that, that means they're grinding down the Jaguars' defense and they're keeping drives alive and Marlon Mack's running the football and they're controlling things and getting first downs. Because the way I look at it is the Indianapolis Colts will go, their drives are like more 8 to 12 plays sure. than they are you know, 4 to 6 plays or 4 to 7 plays. Mm-hmm. And so they want to grind you out so in the fourth quarter they can keep doing that. And the key to that to me is the Jags getting ahead, making them a little bit more one-dimensional by the end of the second quarter and making Brissett try to beat you with their receiving core right now that, that really doesn't wow you. Well, it doesn't wow you, but I'll be honest with you. I think this is the Jaguars game to win like I've been stating the whole week. But I am I am a little worried about the receiving threats. Obviously, T.Y. Hilton is out for this game. But where the Colts could possibly put some damage on the Jaguars, it's the tight end position, and it's also the running back position as a receiver. So when I say the tight end position, right now, Eric Ebron having a horrible season, and the Colts fans are letting him know about it. He's underperforming. Um, Everyone's come out and said that. He acknowledges that. And the last thing you want to see if you're the Jacksonville Jaguars right now is Eric Ebron come and piss off because he's having a bad season, had a horrible showing against Miami. I think he had like 12 targets but only five catches. It was just really bad numbers. So the last thing you want to see is Indianapolis try to get Eric Ebron going, who in the past has been been pretty good against the Jacksonville Jaguars, and he's a pretty good tight end when he's on. And also, we'll see if Jack Doyle, the you know the two tight end plays as well, because Jack Doyle is kind of the guy who can do everything. He's good in the run game. Um, he does kind of the dirty work, but he's also a very very capable receiver. So now, if you have two tight ends, you got to worry about the field at the same time. Well, now that we're talking about the safeties, we're talking about the linebackers. And if the Jaguars have been exposed recently, I go back to the New York Jets game against a guy by the name of Ryan Griffin, I think his name yes. was. Yes. Um, that's where the Jaguars were exposed. So from the tight end position, uh, the Jaguars have to, be, they have to be better. And then you have Naeem Hines, who he's a guy who will line up in the backfield. He'll line up in the slot position. He'll line up as a one receiver. They like to use him everywhere. But the point is is the fact that he is a running back, but he plays in the receiving game, and the Jacksonville Jaguars haven't necessarily been the best in that either. I always catch myself, too, you know, because I look at some of these other teams, and, again, I think it's a lot relative. Like, right now, if you really ask me what team scares me more than anybody else on their schedule from a roster standpoint, a matchup standpoint, it's the, it's the L.A. Chargers. Mm-hmm. To me, that's the game. 
And and really, I think that Oakland game is tough because of the emotion going out west. It's the last game at the Coliseum. There'll be a lot going on. And by the way, Oakland's pretty good. I mean, Oakland's going to win this week, and they're going to go to 6-4. and four. So they're pretty good. And who knows where they'll be at that juncture of the season, a month from now. But they look pretty good. So relatively speaking, in a schedule that's kind of manageable, I actually think the Chargers at 4-6 and six are more of a difficult task because of Rivers. Uh, I think Gus knows this, all, and these, this, this defense, this offense, all that stuff, and his defense is pretty good. They've got good players. They've underperformed in terms of their football team, and they've had a lot of injuries. But heck, Derwin James could be back by that time. Who yeah. knows? So uh, that's the way I kind of look at it. But then i got to remind myself and be careful and catch myself and be like, hey, dude, the Jags are 4-5. and five. <laughs> I mean, yeah. The Jags haven't been over 500 yet. Time. Like yeah. it's like the Jags. It doesn't matter who you play when you're four and five. You're not that good. Mm-hmm. You're pretty average. And so, I guess I'm not taking that task like this is a layup. This is easy. I understand that nothing is easy. Nothing's a layup. I'm just saying when I look at that film, which I don't. But when I look at that film, if I'm a player, if I'm Doug Marone, I say, okay, let's go play good football because we should win. Could win. Need to win this game. Yeah. And and it's as simple as that for me. What does it look like? With DiFilippo and Foles now, anything noticeable from your standpoint that we will see from 1 o'clock until 4 o'clock on Sunday afternoon that will be like, wow, that's in there because of Foles. And I don't want to say, this is not me asking you about the skill set mm-hmm. necessarily compared to Minshew, the experience compared to Minshew. I'm talking about the look of it. Well, we see a play, a formation, a something that says, no, wait, we didn't see that the first eight weeks because we didn't get enough of a sample in the first game against Kansas City to even think that way. So we haven't seen it, and I'm curious if we will. Do you think something will jump off you to you at the at the screen yeah. watching the game and saying, "Wow, that's a new little wrinkle we haven't seen in a couple months." Uh, I think if it's the biggest thing, it's going to be the pre-snap reads and the pre-snap movement. And by that, I just mean the motion. You know, I think we're going to see a lot more motion. Um, I'm curious to see if they're going to utilize two tight end sets or more, just one tight end set, because we know that Foles loves to use the tight end. And so does John Filippo. The question is, do they have the tight ends right now to use? You know, more specifically, is Josh Oliver that guy? I mean, he's he hasn't played in a lot of games, Brent. He's, he's had a couple catches here or there. But is he going to be that dependable dude? And we may find out Sunday. But I think overall we're just going to see a lot more motions and a lot more just, um, I guess you would call, you know, like cannon fodder in the back. That's going to kind of confuse the defense a little bit. Because Foles has been in that offense before and he knows what to do. I do think the long ball is something people are wondering about. But I say that, and I feel like Minshew had a bunch of explosive plays. Of course. But I think his explosive plays came off creativity and plays that looked like they were breaking down and him on the run. Mm -hmm. So I wonder from the pocket if Foles is just going to let it fly. And I think a little bit of that is his M.O. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. I think he is he is willing to do that, and we saw. I mean, the throw to Chark still is a beauty, man. I Absolutely. mean, if you take that, this is over dramatization at its best. But if you look at that throw, that falls through, mm-hmm. ten plays, eleven plays into his Jags career, you might be able to make the argument that that was the prettiest ball a quarterback has thrown in a Jacksonville Jaguars uniform this decade. Yeah. You're absolutely right, and it was just it was a small glimpse. It makes you wonder what could have been uh, for the rest of that game. The, the deep ball will be there. Um, the question is, are, are they going to attack it right off the bat? You know, we talked about it, Brent. We think, well, I think we both can agree that Chris Conley is going to have an increase of usage. We feel that you way, know? right? Now, at whether, least with targets. Yeah, at least with targets. And we saw that in training camp. We saw it in OTAs. They love to throw the deep ball to Chris Conley. And that gives you a supreme advantage because usually if it's a deep ball, 
you have to worry about either the one receiver or the two receiver, right? Like, who's ever going to be on Chris Conley won't be the best cornerback, and it may not be the second best cornerback. It's going gonna, gonna to be the third best cornerback or, like, the nickelback that we've been talking about. So from that perspective, you put a nickelback on Chris Conley, and unless that nickelback was a 100-meter champion, you know, champion in the SEC or something like that, I like Chris Conley's chances to burn somebody deep. And we know Foles has the accuracy to pinpoint that throw and get the ball in the money. If that's the case, then, yeah, I think Chris Conley could have a, a fantastic day. Here's the other guy I want to see if he starts breaking out, and I don't know if the injury is too much. I know he didn't play against Houston, but D.D. Westbrook, he's got a touchdown, 383 yards, and 32 catches on the year. Mm-hmm. Now, again, he missed one game. He's been banged up. He's gutting it out. And he, he just he had that really good game, uh, I want to say, in Carolina. It might have been Cincinnati, mm-hmm. right? I think he had a 100-yard day. And that would, outside of that, it's like, I want more D.D. You know, yeah, I absolutely. want more Westbrook. Mm-hmm. And so I'm hungry for more D.D. Westbrook in this football game as long as he's healthy and can do it. And I'm interested to see if he also – we're talking Conley, but I wonder if he gets more involved a little bit more if he's feeling up to it. We're going to talk more about the Jags. We've got some college football. What's going on in Tallahassee with Florida State and a little bit of everything. Coming up next, though, talk a little Jacksonville Iceman hockey, and I think Austin's going to skate. <laughs> and we're going to break it all down because we got the head coach coming up next on ESPN 690. Yeah, most definitely. Speech kind of went viral yesterday, so uh, I didn't see it until last night. And uh, I think I think that's who Nick is. He's a guy friend, man. Uh, he uh, demonstrates that to us every day. You know, even before he got hurt, he always demonstrated that to uh, the team. Well, not the team, the offense. You know, so uh, he always had that in him. That's Leonard Fournette just a short time ago, courtesy of Jaguars.com. Leonard Fournette talking about Nick Foles. How will this football team with number look with number seven? at the helm on Sunday against the Indianapolis Colts and really what feels like a must-win situation for the Jacksonville Jaguars. The panic button all over town and in that building, by the way, will be hit if the Jaguars lose to the Colts on Sunday. But it's a whole new ball game if they win. It's as simple as that when you're hanging around four and five and just a couple of games out with a mix of teams for two wild card spots. So we'll see how it shakes out on Sunday. Welcome back, everybody. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. More football talk coming up in just a little bit. But right now, we are hanging out at the uh, Veterans Memorial Arena. And so we figure... Let's talk a little Jacksonville Iceman hockey. They had a game this morning. They lost 5-4 to four in front of a record crowd. All the kids were out here, more than 12,000 folks. Iceman head coach Jason Christie joins me right now. How you doing, man? Good, Brent. How are you doing? Sorry, uh, sorry you lost yeah. today, but it was an exciting uh, hockey game. Oh, it was the, the attendance was on. Like Those kids were just loud, and it was awesome <laughs> to play in front of. And uh, just too bad we just didn't get the win there. And, uh, you know, the, the front office obviously did a great job getting those kids out here. That's uh, one of those deals where it's tough to wake up and play, but when you get 12,000 screaming kids, they wake you up in a they hurry. They wake you up for your, Yeah, that, that Sharky Shark song there, too, the Baby Shark. That, uh, the, the kids love that, that's for sure. Uh, hey, let's look behind us right now. If you're watching on the social media platforms, that's Austin Lane on skates. Not bad for the 6'6 big fella. No, he gets around good. He's high-stepping even, too. He loves it. Yeah, I mean, is. he couldn't wait to come out here. Not really to see you <laughs> no. or Alex or be here. It really just wanted to get on the ice. Yeah, no, he, he does well out there for sure. Uh, so anyway, he's not uh, a lot of you know, a lot of uh, treats. That's for sure. Yeah, well, he's a Wisconsin guy. I mean, yeah. you almost have to be a. Wisconsin. Yeah, no, I guess you, so. Eh? How's Wisconsin in terms of hockey? Good. No, they're they're good. Uh, good friends. Uh, Tony Granado's coaching there right is now. He they really got a yeah, they, Providence College guy. Uh, no, no, he played in the NHL there with L.A. Kings, San Jose Sharks. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, Granado. So the, was that Granado. A, I felt like a Granado yeah. was at Providence College back yeah, in the day. But, but Cammy was there. 
Oh, that's that's who Cammie. it was. It was yeah, her sister. Cammie, that's right. Yeah, she was sister. Awesome. She was she's the only female to be. Well, I think we can hire now, but uh, she was the first one to be in the hockey hall of fame. That's what it was. Good. Yeah, I like it was that. awesome. Glad we could figure that out right there. Yeah. All right, tell us about your hockey team. I mean, I, I know you lost a little bit of a slow, slow start, but I mean, you get so many new players. Isn't yeah. It? I mean, you'd love to start fast, but at the same time, you have to be a little bit patient in the first few weeks of the season, I would imagine. Well, no, you know what? We have a lot of new bodies, but, you know, the thing that's, you know, frustrating right now is, you know, we're, we're scoring the goals, but we're down one more extra, and we just got to tighten it up. You know, like tonight, we gave up two goals there, a two-on-one from the blue line in, and then a three-on-one to, to win it. And, you know, those areas where we got to clean up, and, you know, we got to make sure we got to bounce back. We got them here again tomorrow, Atlanta, and then obviously Orlando here on, on Saturday, but you know, we we just gotta, you know, it's it's fixable things. It's not we're sitting here wondering what it is. It's a situation where they're definitely fixable, and we gotta, you know, buckle those down. You know, you've been around the ECHL for a long, long time. Uh, you have a couple of games coming up Friday, Saturday. You had a great crowd today. Yeah. But this crowd's been awesome in the first couple of years of the Jacksonville Iceman's history. How much do guys realize that, recognize that? When you're over there, you kind of look up and be like, this is a great atmosphere in the ECHL. And, and maybe it's not the best, uh, and maybe it is, but it's darn good, isn't it? I think it's up there. I, I really do. And, and, and you know, the players notice it. You know, even visiting teams come in and they notice it. And, uh, you know, when you're talking to guys in the summer, getting them to come here, that's that's one of the things that they, you know, they when you're talking to them they, they've heard about it that haven't been here and the, the guys that have been here you know they definitely love the atmosphere and, and that's something that we do have uh you know bob and his staff do a heck of a job uh you just seen with the kids they're out in the community and and i know the players get out there during the winter and it's something that uh when you can have the excitement like our fans give here it's it's uh it's easy to get up for for sure well and uh you know the Icemen have done such a fantastic job. You come off that playoff appearance last yeah. year. Everybody got all fired up. How important is it this season from, uh, well, your point of view because you're the coach, but from almost an organizational point of view to grab that momentum, ride that momentum, and do it again in the yeah. spring? That's a long way away right now in your season. But you almost want to, you know, you want to do it again. You want to back. You get that feel, and everybody right. else got the feel in the city about it. They got fired up about it. So you almost want to be able to follow it up with another one, don't you? No, and that's the thing. You know, you want to build off what we had last year. You know, I, I think if you look at the the end of the year and the excitement, uh, like you said, around town, it's this is a sports town. You, you know, yeah. there's a there, it doesn't matter if it's baseball or, or football or, or even hockey now. Like, it, it's taken off. And you just seen last year in playoffs, the fans got into it. And, you know, when you're coming out to a sell, sold out in playoffs, like, that's uh, definitely something we want to make sure we continue here. But, you know, that's what we want to grow. You, you know, we, we just don't want to be happy getting to the play. We, we want to have that team to to bring that cup here. And, you know, that's something that uh, we're definitely striving for here. And, we, you know, like I said, there's, you know, we got to fix a few things here. But, you know, personnel-wise, we've got a good group of guys. And, you know, we just got to, you know, turn those, uh, you know, at the end of the game we had a chance to score. You know, we got to create those opportunities more and, and you know, start, making sure we get in the back of the net with the puck. One more about the growth of hockey before we get back to your team. Uh, the Your kids are down in St. John's County. You go to yeah. school, actually, with my kids. Yeah. Uh, and do you feel like you know, all these kids here today, 12,000 of them, do you sense that, you know, 
when people realize you're out at a soccer game or, right. or something like that, like, hey, the Iceman head coach, you got some kids that are like hockey, man. That's cool. It's interesting. I mean, there's still a bit of that, right, in Northeast Florida trying to expose it. For sure. And that's the thing. Like, now, you know, there is that talk out there. There is that, uh, you know, the the community, especially down St. John's there where where we are, you know, you got the parents that do come to the games and bring their families. And that's the biggest thing, Brent, is, is with us. We're, we're family-oriented. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's it's reasonable to bring a family to a hockey game. And, you know, that's that's something where, you know, we got to put on a good product and, and for them to enjoy it. But, uh, you know, again, the, like you've seen today, the kids had a blast. Go home, talk to the parents, and, you know, we'll see what goes from there. How much of a grind is this uh, for your team? And, and you almost have to pace yourself again. You know, you yeah. lose and you come back. you got to be ready to go tomorrow night, Saturday, and you got to flush that thing in a hurry, don't you? Well, you do. And that, but the best thing about it, you get right back in the saddle again. Like, it's just not something where you, 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 know, you take that hard loss and, and you got to chew it for a couple of days. Tomorrow is, is regrouping. You're right back at it here again tomorrow night. So it's something where we've been waiting to be in the arena here. It's, you know, we, they, Got it booked up with concerts and stuff, so we've been out a little bit, but uh, it's something we just got to keep grinding away here and, and you know, obviously uh, be prepared. Was the road, the bus rides, all those kind of things, does it gel the team, or is that fiction or fact? Uh, it's a fact. No, no question it is. Like, when we went out to Fort Wayne there, like, it was, you know, you just see the guys kind of come together there. And, you know, right now, I think with our team, though, if, if you put your thumb on it, it's, it's a lot of guys... Um, you know, they all they all want to go and, and score a goal. Yeah, and, you yeah, know, yeah. I mean, we need make some their guy, moment, right? make their moment. But we need some guys to kind of obviously play better defensively and and you know not take the shortcuts there because you got to have a you know in order to have a good offense, you got to have a good defense. You know, and that's something that we just we got to make sure we realize. Do you have a favorite place to go in the league in terms of a road trip? Uh, is it short because it's Orlando? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> No, it's, you've been around it so much. Is there a place? If I was going to go on a road trip, you yeah. say, "Hey, Brent, you got to come on a, this trip with us." This is, a, this is a pretty good one. I think honestly, I, I think going to Fort Myers for me, I, I just love it. it's it's one goal games all usually, and and you know the fans are. It's a pretty good rivalry, and and uh, you know they're it's, good it's a, and they're good. And but that's I love that. You know, yeah. like see where we're at, and we had a big win there last weekend. But you know, you, you got to be detailed. You got to be ready to go. You know, have the guys ready when they're going down there, and it's. Uh, it, it, you know they get going, but I, I like Jack. Like I, I can't say enough about how awesome our fans are, and you know the the things that the obviously Bob and his staff put together here. Yeah, well, the reason I ask you it that way is because I think you're right about that. I think if you ask people in Orlando and Fort Myers and Atlanta and all these yeah. other places, I think they'd say, hey, yeah, it's fun coming down. Oh, hundred percent. So, so that's a pretty cool thing. Uh, back to backers, Atlanta, Atlanta. Yeah. How much do you grind over what else you can do different? After a loss, or is it we just got to play better? I mean, so from a strategic standpoint, is there anything you'll you'll change well, without being too specific? Because they might be listening. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> no you know, again, you got to look at you know we've already been cutting the tape here, so we got all the goals down against and, and goals for you know what we did good and stuff we have to work on. You know, definitely got to see it tomorrow. You know what I mean? Just areas where you know it, it's stopping instead of circling. You know what I mean? It's just little things like that. It's not something where you know, oh, how will we get beat? You know yeah, what I yeah. mean? It's a it's a little detail thing. Like, instead of a guy going for a circle, just stopping, making him have to come between us and the, the goalie, you know. It's just, you know, that's the stuff that we're not cleaning up right now, and we got to start 
getting those areas cleaned. Um, but uh, you know, again, tomorrow uh, we got to come out same energy. Got to you know, might have a couple guys called up here. I uh, won't know till later on tonight. Unfortunately, ten thirty game. <laughs> they fly out tonight, you know. So uh, see what we have here in the morning and put a lineup together and get ready to go. All right, a couple more for you. Take us behind the scene of that. Okay, you get a new guy in here tonight tomorrow. Yeah. What, what do you do? You'd be like, hey, well, hey, man, nice to meet you. Yeah. Uh, where are you from? Uh, That's what happened with the goalie this morning. He flew in last night, and he didn't get in. His plane got delayed from Charlie. He didn't get in until midnight, so I didn't meet him here until this morning. came in, hey, my, we got a meeting in 10 minutes. So, you know, it's uh, it was awesome. yeah, it was kind of quick that way. But, uh, you know, again, guys that will be going in the lineup uh, tomorrow, guys have been skating with us, so they're hungry. They're ready to go. Uh, okay, last one. I'm going to reference it because there's a bunch of Nick Foles talk around yeah. the area, okay? That is such a vital position. Is it obvious? Is goalie that position on the ice? But a second part of that, like, we're talking a lot about this week about Foles' impact on his teammates in that locker right. room, like super well-respected. I don't know if that guy has to be the goalie because the goalie is usually the odd guy anyway, yeah, right? Yeah. So that's a two-parter. I mean, is it as simple as, yeah, the goaltender is usually that guy that – he can change everything. Yeah. But from a leadership standpoint, is is it usually a position, or does it take a, a special trait, character guy on a team? Well, I, I you know, we got uh, Derek Barash down here from uh, Columbus. He was down here, really good centerman. And our, I think our team kind of rallied around his, you know, energy. Um, the goaltender is a big position, but this guy got through five other guys before he gets to him. So, you know, but you want. You, you, you know, you want that big save at the right time. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And, and that's the biggest thing is, you know, when, when you can get that save at the right time, the guys go, oh, yeah, let's go. That, you know what I mean? It, it does rally you quite a bit. So, you know, it's, but for me, it's, it, it's got to get through five guys before it gets to the goalie. So it's, uh, you know, you just want to make sure that when called upon, he's there to make that save. Is it hard for guys to take a role like that? in the ECHL because everybody's trying to right. fight, trying well, to make it. Is that tough? And, and, that's, Young guys the, and, that's, and that's a great question because, you know, we have a lot of guys that, you know, they think they need points to get up. Um, but there's so much more of their game that they're missing in order to get called up. You know what I mean? Like whether it's being able to not turn a puck over a blue line or, you know, use your speed wide, drive a defenseman down. You know, like those little things add up for them at the next level, so they have to learn those down here, and obviously that's one of the key things that we need to get better at down here. Jason Christie, uh, head coach of Jacksonville Weissman, it's been a long day for you. Appreciate you stopping by and hanging. Always good to see you, though. I appreciate it. Good luck tomorrow night. All right, thanks so much. Back home tomorrow night, back home uh, Saturday as well, and like I always say to the Iceman, I mean, they don't have to fly in an enforcer. (laughs) Austin Lane's ready to go. Austin is ready. Just down the road. Yeah. We'll, we'll send him in a limo if need be. That's all we need. Yeah. Uh, we come back. We'll talk a little bit more about football, balling, and fall. What's going on in Tallahassee as well? A lot to get to. Action Sports Jacks on a Thursday here on ESPN 690. Hanging out with the Iceman down here at the arena. We'll be right back. I think it was good for everyone. I went home, uh, two of my kids. I did a lot of stuff for my kids, so I ain't really, I didn't do no working at all. So I'm going to let you know right now. I asked him what I did. I didn't work out. I lay in the bed, ate gumbo. Went on dates with my daughter and my son, and we chill. Coach Doug told us, don't think about football when we go home. Despite the loss and stuff, he said, man, let it go, and uh, we're going to come back and we're ready for a new starting pressure. All right, that was Leonard Fournette of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I didn't hear the entire thing, but Coos said it was kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> what the heck did he say, Coos? 
<laughs> he said he didn't do anything in the break. He didn't get a workout, and he hung out with his kids and ate gumbo. Oh, jeez. Ooh, nice. Didn't get a workout in. Do you like to hear that or not? Oh, eating that gumbo, too, man, with that bread base in it. Not the bread, but like with, like, I think it's like the butter base, whatever they call it. Ooh, that could give me a fullback now, too, a little bit. No, it's, nah, that's fine, man. I mean, I'm sure Watch, he, Leonard's going to run for 32 yards. Everybody's going to take that sound bite and run. Oh, I know, right? He no, I mean. gumbo and he didn't get a workout in. No wonder why he could yeah. run for a first down. No, like, that that's the most important part of the bye week. Sure, you can get a workout here or there, but it's all about the recovery, Brad. And from that standpoint, good for him for getting that in, and hopefully he comes back feeling refreshed, ready to roll. Yeah, it's something that uh, I always say this about. The more and more you're around sports, you realize the recovery is so important. Mm -hmm. And I guess the older you get, the more and more you realize sometimes the recovery is important. Oh, without and I a never, doubt. I, I like always was like, yeah, whatever. Just keep going. Let's go. You know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. And, but you get it more. I understand it more. I really didn't. I'm being honest. I didn't really understand that. I was like, really? But there's so much emphasis on the recovery. Dude, almost I didn't, so much on more so than the preparation. I didn't understand it when I was a rookie in the NFL either. Not I was bad. just like... Man, like, we got to go sit in the cold tub for another, like, 15 minutes or so, and then we got a foam roll after that when it doesn't feel good? Yeah. No, I'm just going to go home and sleep, because, like, sleep's, like, the ultimate thing to, you know, get back in recovery, or so they tell you. But uh, the older you get, the more you realize, like, yeah, maybe those extra cold tubs, maybe those extra foam roll sessions, uh, maybe there's something to be said for them. All right. Uh, hey, Florida State, still, they haven't named the coach, and, and there's oh, these rumors just keep flying around, and it's for, it's, as Bob Stoops very much in it, listen, I got a text from a guy I know today, and he's, like, very much in it, and, and maybe getting close to done. And, and I love this guy, and I'm not saying he, he might be right, might be wrong. I don't know is the point. I don't think anybody. You In these coaching searches, things happen like this, where, where everybody's knows a little bit of something or thinks a little bit of something. I can tell you this. It's not done. If it was done, we'd know by now. Somebody would know by now. An agent would have leaked it out. The Stoops would have leaked it out. Florida State would have. It, it's, there's no way it's done unless it's come down, and, and I'm talking about it as it's coming down. But it, it is interesting to hear the Bob Stoops conversation, but it brings me to this about Florida State. Right now, there's a lot of folks saying, Odell Hagens, Odell Hagens, you know, he loves that school. You can feel it. Yeah. How important do you think that is? Because we're seeing that with Eddie O. We talked about it a little bit earlier this week. Mm -hmm. And how much could that connection mean? Remember, <laughs> people killed the Eddie O hire. They're like, no way this is going to work. Well, it's worked. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I, I don't know if I killed the Eddie O hire. I'm not sure I knew enough about it to, to do that. But I did question it. I'm like, I don't know. Uh, and that has worked, man, times 100. They're number one in the country. They just beat Alabama. He's 9-3 and three against top 10 teams, only losses to Alabama. He's, he's, he's morphed that football team from a team that scored 0-46 to 46 against Alabama. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, it's really incredible what they've been able to do. So hats off to Eddie O. And it does beg the question, can you get somebody that absolutely loves the place they're at, they bleed those colors, and does that resonate enough to resonate enough to to get people to come yeah. and play hard and feel the same way you do about it? I think it's a fair question, and I think we have examples that it does work. Yeah, obviously, if you have ties to a school and if you're passionate about it, in my opinion, you're you're gonna it's gonna mean a lot more to you, right? And maybe you spend that little extra hour in the film room or getting the game plan ready as opposed to, you know, hanging out with your family. Because at the end of the day, being the life of a head coach or even a position coach, whether it's in college, uh, in the pros, or even in high school, man, it is a very demanding job. And I think the fact that you mentioned, like, getting the guys there and then letting them play. Well, as far as recruiting is concerned, and listen, like, I'm not a scout and I'm not a college coach, but from what I've talked to people about this and, like, what I've seen, I think the world of recruiting right now isn't pretty easy gig. Now, I, I, I don't mean the fact that, yes, you still have to sit in some 
kid's living room and try to get him to come there. But, like, back when I was getting recruited, Brent, like, I couldn't just go on the website and be like, all right, this is what they have to offer, this is what they're good at, you know, for their majors, this is what their football team brings to the table. And sometimes I couldn't even watch them on TV. Nowadays, man, you can watch pretty much any D1, D2, or even a D3 school yeah. on the Internet, right? You get so, an eighth grader on TV. Exactly. So, so you kind of have – you're already kind of, like – familiar with like the university so w- when the coach comes in there trying to recruit you to you know play for him i don't think he's really selling the school anymore because you know what the school is all about you know like yeah sure you may see like this is what we believe in but he's mostly selling himself yeah and if you're and selling your facilities well self and facilities <laughs> as well but but even then the, the, the guy the, the, the recruits know the facilities yeah. are ready before the coach even comes in but my point is if the coach comes in and he's passionate about the university well he's selling himself and himself is the university. So I think that is an advantage, and it's something to keep an eye on. One more thought on Bob Stoops and how it could play out and the ramifications if it doesn't play out. Coming up, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about it. So much more to get to in the next couple hours. We're live down at the arena. Jacksonville Iceman played this morning. They lost 5-4 to in front of a record crowd. We'll be back on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Everybody looking at me saying, Odell, it's a great job. No, God, that's a hell of a job. Every coach, everybody on this staff, I appreciate you guys. This person appreciates y'all. Yeah, hey, it's not about me. It's about y'all. Hey, it's about y'all, Corey, you guys, Cam. Y'all could have threw it in the tank. But you know what you did? You're a seminal. You fought. You fought. Guys, we're not going anywhere. We're our family. That's Odell Hagens after the win up in Boston College in Florida State, all fired up in that locker room. And you can feel it, right? You can yeah. feel the passion. Just what we were talking about before the break. And he has that. How much does that matter? How much does that matter to the university? How much can that translate to being a CEO of a football team? By now, would Odell Hagens have had a chance already to be that guy? You know, all those questions are in play. But I think Eddie O has kind of changed the game on some of that stuff. He really has. Mm-hmm. He's put people in... And, and believers out there in doing it this way, and I think people are so emotional. I think there's a big hashtag Hire Odell movement going on in Florida yeah. State. And, listen, it, whatever you think is going to work is going to work. I don't even mind outside the box. I just think you'll be a little bit careful, and I'll say it again. They need a safe play here. They can't have somebody come in and be 5-7 and seven and 4-8 and eight and 6-6. Six and six. They need somebody kind of like Florida did, and Florida's hope is they win big, big, and, and they've probably already exceeded expectations under Dan Mullen this early. But I think the, the play with Florida was, at the very least, Dan Mullen's going to win himself eight games in a bad year, nine games most years, and ten years probably more often, ten, ten years, ten games more often than not. And they found that guy. Now, my question, and I think everybody's question will be until he does it, can he win the big one? But Florida State needs to find that guy in some way, shape, or form. Now, that goes back to Bob Stoops, and it all starts with Bob Stoops. How much is he in play? How much were the early reports correct that this would happen, even though they said it was happening like imminent, and that wasn't the case? The national guy said, nah, he's he's not even interested in it. Well, I'm not so sure about that because we still have Bob Stoops rumors, and anybody close to that program keeps floating Bob Stoops, and people on social media, some think it's already done. I mean, again, Mm -hmm. I don't believe it's done unless something has come out and I just haven't seen it on social media in the last few minutes. But I don't think anything's done or we would know by now. That's the way the sports world works now. Nothing's staying buttoned up if it's been done, okay? That doesn't happen. But there's all this talk yesterday of all these hundreds of millions of dollars by the uh, donated to Florida and the athletic programming and, and all that stuff. So everything's in place. 
uh, it could be for Florida State. So to get Bob Stoops, there's there's a sign here to me. There's two big big things about this whole thing, and I, I don't let's see if it happens or not. But one, it's crystal clear that Bob Stoops misses football in some capacity because he's agreed to coach the XFL team. Correct. And be that and be in charge of it and all that stuff. Yeah. So if he's agreed to do that, even though that's less of a, a grind, right? It's not as big as being the a big time college football coach, power five school. It's, a lot it's more, more of a part time gig. Exactly. Right? The bottom line is he misses it to some degree. And when you have lived that life and then you feel like you miss it to some degree, you're getting back in one way or another, and it's really not hard to get back into what you've been doing, especially when they throw millions of dollars at you and say, Hey, we want you to be the guy at Florida State. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So that's one part of it. The other part of it is the sense of disappointment if Bob Stoops isn't the guy in Tallahassee, I think now is going to be real. Because I I believe the names that have been floated around, the names that, that could be in play, and they might be fantastic football coaches, no disrespect to them, but there will be this mega drop-off between names that Florida State will get versus a Bob Stoops who many people think they could be in play for. Yeah. And that will be a tough thing to handle in Tallahassee. And by the way, I do believe there's a big drop-off. I mean, look at the resume of Bob Stoops. It's a great resume. So there is a drop-off, naturally, but that doesn't necessarily mean the guy they hire won't be successful and maybe even better than Bob Stoops was. I just think the instant reaction, if they don't get this done with Stoops, if he's really not interested or they can't come to an agreement or they just don't get it done, this is going to feel like a gut punch once again to Florida State because of all the talk about it this month. Okay, so first of all, when you talked about Odell Higgins, could he come off as any more of a defensive line coach when he was talking to those guys, man? Like, <laughs> yeah. intensity, um, rah-rah, like, that's that's D-line to a T, man. So I respect that being a former defensive lineman myself. The interesting thing about Odell Higgins and the fact that you, you kind of mentioned a little bit of the same situations happening right now in LSU, it's the fact that you see the team starting to rally around him. Right, like some of the players in that Florida State team, they have made it abundantly clear that they want him to be the head coach. All right, now of course you kind of maybe take the player's opinion with a grain of salt if you're uh, the AD and everything like that. But to be fair, and, and maybe I'm completely off, and maybe I'm just my ears not close enough to the ground in, in Florida State. But how many guys were supporting Willie Taggart when he left? Like how, how many guys said, you know what, that was our fault. He, he should have been fired when he was. Like I didn't hear a lot of players having Willie Taggart's back. And then, oh, that's just what I mean. Now, maybe behind the scenes they have, but I'm saying nobody really came on Twitter that I saw. No one had a press conference saying, we want, you know, it's our fault Willie Taylor didn't make it. Okay? But at the same time, everyone's going to bed, it seems like, for Coach Hayden. Yeah, I, I, I will say, I don't know if we got enough of that play, but I, I get what you're saying. I do think there are people who are like, we love you, Coach, and, and Taggart, and all that stuff. So I think there are, there's still a camp of people, although people knew that it might be coming. There was a camp of people that said, wait a minute now. This has only been less than two years. This mm-hmm. guy had to clean stuff up. And I think people internally feel that way, externally feel that way. That's a, a it, it wasn't a uh, vocal minority, uh, of, or it wasn't a vocal group, let's just no. say that. So to your point. But I'm but, saying but, they're, they're but being very vocal, vocal for Higgins. This is yeah. a vocal thing. But we're... Well, again, we always say this. It's a great phrase. I love it. Prisoners of the moment, right? Sure. And, and I think that's part of this. First of all, from the student-athlete perspective, and with all due respect to the student-athlete, 
they don't know who the heck should be the next football coach at Florida State. No, I but mean, they might love their guy, and they should love their guy, and that's okay, and they should go to bat for him. But they really have no idea who should be the coach for the next ten years, twelve years, fifteen years. Yeah, and I'm not sure the Florida State administration does either. Well, <laughs> but, yeah, but but they know more than the players. No, no, <laughs> I absolutely agree there. But at the same time, you look at Ed Orgeron; those guys love playing for Ed Orgeron. Yes, yes. Ed, Ed Orgeron was the head coach at Ole Miss. How that worked out for him? Yeah. Not too good. Now, granted, he has more talent now as you, but there is something to be said for taking the players and making them want to play for you. And right Absolutely. now, I'm just saying, Hagens, he has that locker room. Now, was it? Does it turn into anything? Probably not. But the other point I was trying to make is the fact that with Florida State right now and the timing of Willie Taylor getting fired, right during the middle of the season when you're still trying to be bowl eligible, the last thing Florida State wants to do right now is go two years without being boiled. Yeah. That that would be an absolute embarrassment for that school. Quite frankly, it should have been three. Well, yeah. But so, so to be fair, when you talk about that, and you talk about, well, you're going to fire Tiger during the middle of the season, it begs the question, did they already have a plan in place when they fired Tiger? Because that would make the most sense to me. Whether it's Stoops or whether it's a big name, maybe we haven't talked about yet, the fact that they got rid of Taggart when they did during the middle of the season, which does the players no favor. It does the senior players in that football team or the juniors that are trying to get to the NFL draft their, their last time through Florida State. It does them absolutely zero favors. So from that perspective, to get rid of Taggart as early as they did during the middle of the season, it could prompt you to kind of guess, you know what? There's already a plan in place right now. Maybe we're not hearing about it from the from the Florida State, you know, from the from the AD or whatever like that. But there is probably a plan in place due to the timing of everything going on. Yeah, and absolutely. And I think that's kind of what everybody's instant reaction was. Like, okay, maybe they got something going. If you got something going, well, that's usually with a guy that doesn't have a job because you're not going to talk to the rest of them until the regular season's over. So yeah. that's usually in, in early December or late, late November. So that guy that's out there floating around is certainly Bob Stoops, and there's the connection of the dots. So we'll see what happens. But uh, I will say this. if they don't, Bob Stoops trumps everybody. Mm-hmm. Odell Hagens, everybody. If they don't get Bob Stoops, I wonder how much that does bring a guy like Odell Hagens into at least the, the mix, into the play, depending on who else you can get and how much you have to pay and how great you feel about them. I mean, like, you know, if, if you're going after – I think that Clawson at Wake Forest has done a fantastic job. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, that doesn't give me a lick excited. I mean, if I'm a Florida <laughs> – it really doesn't. It yeah, might no, be a great no. move, but that doesn't yeah. give me a lick excited. I mean, yeah. nothing. Uh, you know, now Norvell at Memphis, yeah, I could buy into that. Yeah. You know, I could buy into but, something like that. But, Brent, but you talk about getting excited. Dan Mullen, and I'm not a Florida Gator fan, but when, when the Gators got Dan Mullen, that didn't make me excited. It didn't get people excited like Scott Frost and Chip Kelly. So Correct. you're right. But at the same time, it got people enough. There was enough resume there that we have not been able to throw the football and play quarterback at this university. At the University of Florida, where we have three Heisman Trophy winners, we have not been able to throw the football. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And this guy is great with quarterbacks. And his resume said so, and he's been here with one of our Heisman Trophy winners. So I think that eased people. That at least gave you something to grab onto. So if you're not going to get somebody super excited, you better give him something to grab onto at the very least. I think John Bachman's hanging out uh, back in our chair in the Action Sports Shack studios. Gentlemen, What's hello. up, John Bachman? Hey, how you guys doing? You came up early today, Bachman. I'd, every now and again, I get free time earlier than I expect. And so well, I just I can't wait to get up here. So I come as soon as I can. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bachman, I've got something for you now. All right. I've, I've, I've been thinking about this. Congratulations. Bartram Trail beat Creekside last night. Huge win. Big yeah. rivals. Looks like you're uh, It was a tight like game, too, by Anna the way. Anna played well. Uh, daughter yeah. played well. Yeah, and, she and did. that's good. Yep. And got to play. Awesome. Right. But uh, Uh-oh. I think we need There's to create but. something. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Okay. All right. 
Now, I don't know if I should wait till my kids fully get there or we could start this now. Uh-oh. But we need to create like an Action Sports Jacks Cup. Maybe it's the Brent and Bachman Cup. Okay. Maybe, I don't know. Everybody loves the cup, right? But yeah. I don't like the cup. Let's go think of something else. But we need to create this Creekside versus Bartram thing. I think you're right. I think you're you know? right. And, and, and who I, cares if they buy into it or not? But we're keeping score, damn it. Okay. And I want them all, <laughs> all right. to know that. All right. All right. I like that. I think we got something here. And, you know, you got that, you baseball guys, King, Fitzpatrick, you guys better bring it on the diamond now. And uh, I, mean, I think we got something here, right? What I, do you think? I do, and I think you have an, an advantage right now ahead of me because you call the games, and so you already know the guys on your team. I'm going to have to do some research to figure out everybody's name on our teams. Well, I just well, gave a shout-out to Fitzpatrick. I know. He's well, the about, baseball hey, coach. Hey, He's the baseball coach at Bartram, man. Well, that's good. Uh, okay, all right. See, I didn't know that. See, that's what I'm saying. i got to do some homework. I'm a freshman. All right, so time out from the game here. Are we okay. doing all sports in general, or yeah, the sports all, that no. the baby kids play? No, no, it's got to be an all sports thing. Yeah, it okay. has to be. Because so we're doing like cross country. We're doing all the yeah. sports. We got to do all the sports. Oh, Listen, wow. we love all the sports. I like we it. Love all the kids. Band? We, we throwing band in the mix? No, Absolutely. Let's do band. No, we're not band. doing John, sure. Yep. John's sticking up for the little guy, man. Sorry, I appreciate band that. band members. We're not doing. You can take. You can have your own saxophone committee, Austin Lane. But we're not doing the band. All right, here's what we're gonna do. So I'm gonna go to both high schools. I'm going to scout their pet bands and see who has a better saxophone team then. Boom. Like That's good. Boom. That will be a tiebreaker. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a 31-year-old dude just sitting in the stands just taking notes. Okay. Got it. Oh, no. This isn't just a 31-year-old dude. Sorry. I'm I mean, actually, he's got yeah. dreads and a beard. Yeah, yeah he will stick out no a little bit. no way you'd ever say that he played the freaking saxophone in high school. Baritone saxophone. Brent was the big one. Don't worry about it. That's right. That's it right. the big one. Uh, so, all right. Hey, we got to put some thought into oh, this, Bachman, okay? okay. I, yeah, I'm I in. I love this. the schools to sign off. Like, this isn't like a bet, okay? So we're not – it's not gambling. Okay. Um, it's, a, it's a friendly competition, uh, maybe with a, even a donation to charity. At I the think end at the, the end we could donate to the opposite booster, and we would maybe have to wear the, uh, you know, the opposing school's garb. Oh, you, that's a good idea. I like and I, listen, I got a lot of friends uh, friends who are at Creekside. In fact, Anna played against a couple of her teammates yesterday that were on Creekside that played a lot of a lot of minutes. Actually, that's the beauty. I mean, I, like all the kids that Ty and Kaylee have played against, a lot of them are split up now. One, yep. some are Creekside, some at Bartram. But I've already told them I don't like them anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's time to. I mean, you know, it's time to really, you know, take sides. I think yeah, is really I think what so it is. Um, what does and, that mean? We're, that means way, we're no longer friends. Is that what you're telling me? Well, like, it's going to get to that point, and. Uh, uh-huh. I also think that Bartram Booster Club, man, they're rolling in the dust, oh, so they don't need anymore. They, they, oh, no, come on now. That's not true. Ooh. They're doing well. They're doing <laughs> Accusations. well. Wow. Accusations being wow. said right now on ESPN oh, 690. Nah, anyway, uh, we got, we, we'll you know a lot of those good folks at Bartram. Don't don't you be they're playing great now. People, great yep. people uh, over there. Um, and I, I actually do root for them a lot. So. The uh, we're gonna have to do this though. I was thinking of that this morning or last night. I don't know. After I was I was seeing that Anna was playing and it was Bartram Creekside, it was one nothing. I mean, it, it uh, doesn't matter the sport. It's a great rivalry. I mean, great, you know, it really rivalry. is. And they're both. I mean, I I don't know the other programs well, but I know in football it's a good rivalry. They're well matched. Soccer obviously is definitely well matched. I'm I'm sure all the all the sports are right. Yeah, I think, well, I don't know that for sure, but I'm pretty sure. Like, listen, football's been way ahead of Creekside. Well, they, but, but you're Creekside's right. Creekside's starting to catch up Absolutely. a little bit. Absolutely, right. But football has certainly been way ahead. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think there's a lot of sports. It was probably a sport that, that Creekside's way ahead of Bartram, maybe. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Maybe, um, yeah. So, the uh, anyway, well, we're going to have to look into that. I think okay. we're going to do that. And uh, it is kind of cool down there because you you know so many people. The zoning down there is bizarre. It's almost like... 
Why does that kid go to Bartram? We're, we're not. Right? We're, we're, our, our particular neighborhood is closer to Creekside. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I so, mean, like, we definitely should go to Creekside right. where we are. Yeah. But there are a lot of people who are like, why do they go to Bartram? Mm-hmm. And uh, so that does uh, does happen. All right. Uh, we'll, we're going to settle on that. We're going to launch that. And by the way, with, with, with as much school. rezoning, Brent, as they do, I may not be. At, <laughs> I mean, it's, <laughs> it's possible we get this thing set up and next year my kids aren't going to Bartram. So, yeah, you know. like going to Nice or yeah, something. Yeah, like exactly. That's, that wouldn't be as much fun, by the way. So uh, hopefully we stay. All right. Uh, what you got coming up tonight, CBS 47? Oh, man, do we have a story for you. I, this is one of those stories where I tweet about it, and I have to really watch what I tweet. Oh. We have um, a couple of individuals in Nassau County who decided that they were bored and and, and, and went into um, a hotel that was about to open. And uh, this is all according to a police report, by the way. And uh, we decided that it would be fun on a entertainment for them to just destroy the place so this is like a brand new hotel with tvs and everything else inside is getting ready to open it's supposed to open it may still open on time in december but uh just went to town on the inside they did hundreds of thousands of dollars in damage wow Mm. and they shot their own video oh my god so instagram money there is video of this and that's not even how officers say they caught these guys. That's really? the teasing part here, see? All right. So we're going to be able to show you some of this video that officers uh, released to us. Uh, or maybe we found it, actually. I'm not even sure how we got the video, but we have the video. And then we'll tell you how officers managed to catch these two suspects who face some serious charges because you know that um, hundreds of thousands of dollars in damage is a serious serious deal i would imagine uh, what's the stupidity level of this i would call it very high yeah uh john i'm not sure if you mentioned it but what was the age group of these guys they what would you expect <laughs> i mean it's, it's a bunch I'll of teenagers you. that had mom's credit card is what i'm picturing <clears throat> well i don't know if it's quite that these okay. guys Tamer, were yeah, Tamer, in yeah. they were they were I, I i believe the ages were old teens or early 20s okay, okay. So you're not far off, but um, yeah. Still that's, that's where you're at. to know better. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, I'm telling you, there. You're gonna when you see the story. What 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 I'm trying not to tell you to give it all away is how they caught these guys, and I'm telling okay. you, it makes the story even better. Well, right. worse, better, how, depending on how you look at it. Would this be a good episode of Cops or what? I think it would. I think it would. <laughs> I I think to some degree, this would be like. Your this would be a perfect like Florida man cops episode. Yeah, there we go. All right. Yeah, I, they did, they were not car- they were not carrying alligators in the <laughs> hotel, but they, <laughs> but just about everything else would fit. All right, John Bachman, CBS 47, Fox man. 30. Can't wait for that story tonight. Uh, five a couple o'clock of rock stars. CBS 47 and Fox 30. By the way, 7 o'clock tonight, coming up on Fox 30, Jaguars All Access. We'll have right after John and Tanika and Mike Burrish uh, give you the news and weather as well. Thanks, man. Hey, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right. Uh, have a good night. We're going to take a time out. We come back a little balling and falling. I want to get into cheating in sports. Uh, more Iceman talk as well as they had a record crowd here today. They've got a big weekend coming up. We'll get back to the Jags as well. A lot more to get to here on the Thursday edition of Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Oh, and there might be a little Casey Musgraves man. Yeah, but she can get Entertainer of the Year. BS.
Garth Brooks? Never hey, heard of him. He calls himself Garth a Brooks? fan, Coos. Never heard of him. Calls himself a fan. We got Casey Musgraves at Coachella and then turns around and performs at the Grand Ole Opry. She can't get Entertainer of the Year. Give me a break. Rigged. We'll be back. You know, a year ago we said, hey, they're building this thing around luck and they're starting with it up front to protect it. You know, they're doing the same thing now. You know, if you're strong up front on both sides of the football, you got a chance each and every Sunday. So, um, obviously, their center and Kelly, uh, their left guard is as good as there is in football. Um, he does a nice job in pass protection. He can grade you out at the point of attack, and he's really good at pulling. Uh, he's one of the elite guards, uh, you know, in the game of football right now. Are the Indianapolis Colts the only football team in the NFL that their best thing is their offensive line? Like, that's what scares you about a football team is your offensive line. I mean, seriously, that is their best thing that they have, offensively, yeah. defensively. And they might be sound in a lot of different areas. You might like Jacoby Brissett. You mm-hmm. might like their defense, Darius Leonard, all those people, right? They have some talent. I'm not talking about that. T.Y. Hilton can be can be very good when healthy. Sure. But if you look at their football team, the first thing you go to is their offensive line. It's really good. Well, the sad thing, the NFL very often. The sad thing is, it's because of Quentin Nelson. Like, how many uh, times? Well, Brian Kelly's I mean, a good player. No, I mean, dude, but, just mentioned all but, the players. But, Todd okay, was, but, but let's be honest here, Brent. Though Quentin Nelson made a name for himself last year because he was screaming on film. He was, which, and, which was uh, fake. Uh, okay, well, if it was fake or not, but I'm saying he's a household name now because of that one play. Yeah. And uh, I mean, if we go on the street right now, tell people name. Give me three names of three guards in the NFL. No, they can't do it. He's the only one. But, but yeah, name. but he's the only guy because Quentin Nelson, because for whatever reason, he's the household name now, but he's a great player at the same time. But Todd Wash is right. It is one in the trenches, Brent. Well, it's one in the trenches, but I don't know if I say that complimentary or as that's how kind of blah their team is. You know, if if you're the best thing about your football team is your offensive line, that's a good thing because you want a good offensive line. But... It doesn't. I don't know. It's just not sexy enough for me. I guess. What's the best thing about the 49ers? <laughs> their defense. Okay, but I'd also argue their their ability to to run the football as well oh, and keep Jimmy be. Garoppolo safe, which is yeah. But their defense their is hands line. down. I mean, Nick Bolton. No, I mean, their de- defense. If you say that about a defensive line, it's totally different. Like the Jaguars' best thing about their their team two years ago in seventeen was their defense, but it was like a in a, like a sexy kind of way, like in a oh, of course. it's awesome yeah. turnovers, sacks. turnovers and sacks and those kind of plays. So the offensive line, man. I mean, outside of screaming on a play that I was pancaking somebody. Mm-hmm. Sorry guys, sorry <laughs> big fellas, but it's boring. It is. You're absolutely right. So what I'm trying to tell you is the Colts are boring. See, before that, you could always even go to Adam Vinatieri, who was like, hey, Hall of Famer, best kicker of all time. But he's still, now, he's still a kicker, though. He but still yeah. is, but he's yeah. a bad one right now. Yeah, he is a bad one. In fact, they do not want the game to come down to Adam Vinatieri. No, of They're afraid not. to fire Adam Vinatieri, yeah. and they don't want the game to come down to that. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the way it is. Before we get to Bob Arablo, who you might be able to see a little bit here on our video feeds, Jacksonville Iceman, he'll talk to us in just a moment. Uh, we get to balling and falling real quick. Oh. And uh, Kuz... <laughs> I'm going with Ballin because you just gave I was going to go Harden and the way he's been playing in the sure. Rockets. But instead, I do like the Austin Rivers trying to get his dad teched up, right, last mm-hmm. night. You see that? He said it, it and he did. Yep. Um, and all I could think about is you got to be careful how much you ground your kids if they're going to be NBA superstars and you're the coach yeah. of another team. Because that was back for all the discipline that uh, Doc had on Austin Rivers, if he had any. Yep. And Austin got him back, said, I want to see my dad teched up. Yeah. Ejected. Get him yeah. out of here. Well, and as Austin Rivers just put, it's going to be an awkward Thanksgiving, yeah. and, and he's absolutely <laughs> right. Yeah, that, that's always an interesting dynamic, man, when you have a father versus son in an NBA game, and that was kind of a cool thing to see. You know what's interesting, though, about that is 
I, I, I was thinking of the situation when I saw it, and I said, those guys are so competitive. And Doc Rivers probably at the time, although some would say it's kind of a fun chuckle moment mm -hmm. because your son's trying to get you teed up, he probably wanted to rip his kid's head off. Oh, of course, man. <laughs> of course. Remember, the so cameras are always on, though. Oh, without a doubt. <laughs> if that was my son, oh, without a doubt, man. Yeah. Like, hey, you're you're disowned for the rest of the NBA season. That's right. Don't even bother coming home for the holidays. I mean, to be fair, he, tra he traded him, too. He had him on the team and traded him. Well, I don't well, know if he traded him. But yes, I the team you. traded him. Yeah, he couldn't put a stop to it. It's kind of like this. Sometimes in ping pong when I play tie, I'm like, you know what? It's all right if he beats me, or he's getting a little better, or Kaylee, too. Yeah. But there's other times where I get mad at him. Yeah. I'm like, I'm going to kick their butt. You know today. what? Yeah. In ping pong. And usually I do. In ping pong. When I want to turn it on, I turn it on in ping pong. See, but... I just beat Ty today. I beat him twice last night. I beat him today. Yeah. I told Ty, yeah. I said, the problem with ping pong is I haven't played a lot lately, but the more and more you want to play me, the better and better I get, because I've See, put it down for a while, and I just get better and better at it. It's dangerous for you. And it's crazy that we're talking ping pong right now on ESPN 690, and you're bragging about your skills, but I feel like... I would beat you in ping pong. You probably would. You know why? Because ping pong's not my kind of sport, because like you said you're getting all aggressive. You can't be aggressive in ping pong. Like, yeah, you can spike and everything but to me ping pong is like golf where if you get a little over emotional it's gonna it's it's gonna default you so you, I, I, you can go ahead and have ping pong i'm, I'm all set oh brent you know what i have for balling yeah. coos audio <laughs> coos audio please martin switches out on Morant. no whistle it falls that's that's a that's a quality nba finish right there. Didn't settle for the jump shot, attacked the paint, so the man got the roll. Because where the heck was the holy cow call? Because we get the holy cow game winner. I mean, that was the one you sent me. Because first of all, it was a minute long, and you, you had to go to the end. This is what happens well, when, this is what happens when Kuz has a video game podcast to do before the show. Regardless of what we just heard, John Moran, Brent, and listen, it's so hard not to brag about my Murray State Racers on a daily basis, but when John Morant's hitting game winners against the Charlotte Hornets with, you know, 20 seconds left, puts the team on his back, drives the lane against five guys, and puts the ball in, I got to brag about Murray State. So here we are again, man, John Morant, ball in, 23 points, 11 assists, taking the dub for the Grizz. Bob Aravo, jump in on this. Uh, on this, and I just want to ask you a question, Bob. I'm going to put you on the spot. You've been all around the world uh, with the Jacksonville Iceman and with the ECHL, with hockey everywhere, and, and, and your business travels. Where is Murray State? Brent? I don't have a clue. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That's okay, because you know why? Because it's not a hockey school. It's, it's all good. It's not a hockey school, man. I don't expect them to know Murray State is. We're all good, dude. Uh, it's all right. We're all good, man. I'll I tell you where we're at. If you, man, got, yeah. if you got a minute, I can Google it. <laughs> hey, no, you're all good. Hey, Brent, I will tell you where Murray State is. They're in the NBA right now, and they're in the NFL. Where was Ashland University? Ashland University is in the NFL and? with Adam Shaheen. Okay. And... And? We are fifth in the country and? in esports for <laughs> True that. All right. So uh, there uh, we I went go. to school in Binghamton, New York, at Binghamton University. And, uh, yeah, we're not in the NBA. We, they don't have a football team, so sure. we're not in the NFL. And I'm not sure that outside of um, outside of the progressive lady, Flo, who graduated Binghamton, oh, really? I'm not sure what other alumni that uh, – that I could talk about. That's, on, that's on all you need, though, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, she's always on right. TV, yes, man. Yes, yeah. Yep, yep. That, that's really good trivia. All right, we're going to get to following it a little bit. Yep. And part of my following, I'm going to give it away, but I want to ask you a question because you've been around hockey. 
and maybe you know this too, Austin, but my fall is going to be the Houston Astros mm-hmm. and this whole cheating thing with the, the, the balls and strike, you know, the uh, fastball sliders, stealing signs, um, which a part of that's okay, but then possibly crossing the line, and it really looks like they may have, uh, with video. Is there is there a cheating in hockey that's okay? Right? Like a gamesmanship? Like, because sometimes there is. If you're not cheating, is. you're not trying. If you're not cheating, you're not trying. And I, um, by the way, I subscribe to that in a lot of different levels. But, but ping like, pong. <laughs> that's right. But I, I don't, there is a line, too, right? So, uh, what, is there any under, unwritten rule in There is hockey? a line. I don't think there is in hockey. Um, this sounds like a Bill Belichick thing. And, and uh, you know, I, I know I'm going to upset my brother-in-law by because he's a huge Patriots fan. But, uh no, in, in hockey, I, I think uh, you know um, the the, uh, the competition is is all put on the, onto the ice, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and it's such a team sport in in terms of uh, you know um, it's really hard to to cheat. I got, uh, hey, I got it's one. really hard to do anything. I mean, isn't sometimes the, the stick curvature of the stick? Cur- yeah. Don't you, sometimes they try to bend the rule and the stick. <laughs> They right. do, they do, um, you know, and, and it's funny because the, normally the person who turns in a player that, uh, that, that tries to bend his stick is, is the other equipment manager because he, he can tell what a stick is too, is too curved. Um, with, with the kinds of sticks they have now, it's not a huge, huge deal. But it used to be much easier to curve a wooden stick, um, on the spot, uh, by heating it up, but, uh, so you don't see that a whole lot anymore. I also seem to remember too, like the penalty, pads though. too, like it is penalty, yeah. Oh, yeah. pads for goalies too, right? Whereas sometimes like the the knee pads will be extended a little bit to try to get an extra inch on the knee pads. Yeah, the referee is charged now with uh, a whole checklist of equipment, mm-hmm. and and they they go through that checklist. Uh, so it, it, you know some of it's taken out. It, it's really hard to 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 cheat at this point in hockey. Um, you know, um, I, I really can't think of an incident where it's. Yeah, I can't. It's either. easy to do. Yeah, know? I can't either. Yeah. Uh, but it's obviously we've seen it. If, in the you, NFL. if you guys think of one, though, you know we're struggling a little bit on the ice. We <laughs> <laughs> well, that being said, uh, you had a game this morning. You've been here since three thirty this morning. Not just you, so many other folks helping put this together. Yeah. But you know what? It's kind of worth it. Not that you're hanging out with us. I'm not sure that's worth it. But it's <laughs> worth it that you got twelve thousand plus in here and set a new record in Northeast Florida. Congratulations! It was awesome. This place was rocking just a few hours ago, um, and the game came down we lost 5-4 it came down to the last seconds where we had uh, shots on goal and in the last three seconds of the game and almost tied it up uh but but the place was just uh, incredible um i've never seen anything like in all my years of hockey really yeah that's awesome it was, it was just great the, how was the baby the kids shark got song? into it huh <laughs> the, yeah the baby shark song was good you know it's funny we, we were brainstorming yesterday because we didn't play our usual music and stuff that we would play, yeah. you know, when when our when we have our beer drinking rowdy crowds here, <laughs> but uh, but we we did play um, we we did play music aimed at the kids, and I realized how old I am at this point, <laughs> yeah. where where I can't even talk about what my 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 daughter's old and she's gonna hate me for that one, but but I can't even talk about the stuff she listens to anymore. Sure. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah right. We had more of a root beer crowd here today, yeah. um, and uh, it was a great one though. And, and again, you lost the game, but we talked about it earlier in the week when you have a crowd like this you have all the kids here this is a great place to market to the kids and say hey go home and tell your parents that was awesome well you got an exciting game i know the wins and losses do matter and i know you guys but to have not a, to the kids that were here today, no that's what though. i'm saying I mean, that's, though, to yeah, five four yeah. games say, man, yeah. that, 
There were goals all over the place. A couple of fights too. Yeah. And uh, I never heard. <laughs> yeah, I mean that was that was a great. You got twelve thousand kids that might have gone home, and and thousands of them might have said, "We got to go back and watch." Can't wait to go play, back, right? You know. Yeah. And it just so happens that uh, that two nights from now we, we have Marvel Night here, so we promoted that heavily. One um, of, uh, and I'm seeing the jersey over that, here. And that is an impressive. And this is what this, this is what our team is going to be wearing on uh, Saturday night. Dang! With Spider-Man that. here, and uh, it's it's our annual Marvel night, Marvel Celebration night. So, that is awesome. How many so jerseys will that. you guys have in the course of a year? Do you know? Have you counted? Them? I think this year we have uh, nine, eight specialty jerseys, plus then our regular third jersey and and our home jersey, road jerseys. So, so Bob, yeah. so what actually goes into like? Because you know, this is obviously Spider-Man right here. He's he's a he's a pretty big name in, in the world of comic books and comic book movies. What yeah, even I've heard of him. <laughs> even Brent's heard of him, man. So, so say no more, man. Everyone's getting involved with this thing. Yeah. But like, what exactly goes into like you know requesting kind of like this jersey, getting the Spider-Man, um, you know, look and everything like that. I mean, it's it you can't know, be an easy process. This is a real credit to to the ECHL. Um, Ryan Creelan took over as commissioner. Um, and and the first thing that Ryan realized, and I've known Ryan now, he's been the assistant for many many years. Uh, the first thing he realized is that, yes, we're selling hockey, but we're also selling family entertainment. Mm. So as a league, we couldn't do this as a team, but as a league, he went to Marvel, he went to DC Comics, they went to uh, um, Nickelodeon, and we now have three theme nights that every team has the option to participate in. We participate in all three of them. Of course. You know, because, again, it, it, it's about bringing kids out, and, and that's why we were so excited about today. You know, I think we created 12,000 new hockey fans, um, you know, here. And uh, and Marvel Night will, will help bring some of those kids back, bring other kids in that are Marvel fans, bring adults in who are Marvel fans, um, you know. And then later in the season, we'll have a Nick Night. We'll have a, a DC Comic Night as well. And, you know, that's what it's all about. It's about coming here, having a great time. Even if you've never been to a hockey game or you don't, you, you, you know, you don't like hockey for what I can't understand why. But, <laughs> you know, um, you, you, you come and you're going to have fun. You're going to be entertained. And every night there's something a little different going on. Well, to that point, though, there's no sport that, and I'm not saying it's not good to watch on TV, but there's no sport that is uh, incrementally that much better to watch in person. Yeah. And especially than, with than, kids. Than it is than hockey. Especially yeah. with kids too. You, you know how it is, Brent. Like trying to keep a kid's attention these days yeah. is it's out of this world. But the fact that you have you know the fastest game right now yeah. in, like in professional sports. Go sit um, up by these boards and looking at that phone. That well, bam, you yeah, exactly. And then just, I'm just you know it's just the sounds. It's the crowd interaction. It's it's everything, yeah. man. And like um, if you're a kid and this doesn't entertain you, I feel like nothing's gonna. So it's a very sensory sport. Yeah. You don't get that on TV. You know yeah. if you if you've only watched hockey on TV you've never seen hockey yeah. mm-hmm. um, and I can say that very very confidently uh, you know it, it's a sport where you have to experience it um, you know I, I actually prefer watching football at home you know you get to see all the everything that's going on the 15 different camera plays and stuff that you don't always see in the stadium um, hockey you, you, you're not going to enjoy it on TV if you don't know the sport and you've never been to see it in person. One one more thought about the jerseys. Uh, yeah. What will you do after? And uh, it, sometimes these get auctioned off and things like that. What what goes on with this particular jersey That's after you we wear do. them on Saturday night? Will be yeah, auctioned we'll off. auction it right after the game on Saturday. And how many uh, like players are probably saying, I'm a big Spider-Man fan. I'm, I'm keeping mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or do they have to, hey, they they can have to throw their money? Put them forward. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, no, they can bid. I mean, these jerseys are... Um, what we do with our specialty jerseys like this is we do auction them off after the game, uh, and uh, and the money goes to uh, the the Iceman Foundation, mm-hmm. 
um, or some other charity. And then through the Iceman Foundation, we're able to support um, various different or organizations and uh, and you know it, we've I know our fans and us so far in the in the less than three years we've been here uh, have raised almost uh, four hundred thousand dollars for local charities and, Incredible. and that's that's important to us to give back. Wow, know? it's so important <laughs> and we appreciate your support because Bob and the Iceman have been supportive of our Action Sports Shack Stream 18 and we love having you down the last couple of years. Yeah. So uh, we appreciate that and where those dollars go to to help support other charities uh, that we support as well. Uh, you, uh, how big's your business card now? <laughs> um, how many ti- how many titles do you have? Uh, Fort Myers Miracle. Uh, now yeah. you're involved with the baseball team down in South Florida because of the local ownership group. There's big news in the off season. We had you on and yeah. we were talking about it. But this local ownership group, and I think the significance of that. I think it can be kind of muddy and people glaze, glaze over it. The significant thing is you never know with sports that come in, especially new ones. Even though this one's been highly successful, yeah. franchises where they might go, how long they might be here, but. There's a real belief that this thing is staying in Jacksonville for a long time. It's got local ownership. We had Daniel Murphy on as yep. part of the ownership yep. group now. Yes. But they also own the Fort Myers <laughs> Miracles. Uh, and, by the way, there's already an ECHL hockey team down there. Uh, so We don't talk about those We guys. don't talk yeah, about yeah. <laughs> But that increases your role now, kind of spreading into the baseball realm a little bit as part of this company, right? It does. The local ownership, to me, from day one was important. I, I needed to, to be able to say, you know, a lot of, when I first started – bringing the idea of hockey to to Jacksonville, um, a lot of people thought I was crazy. They've seen the history of hockey here, and and even though that's, you know, in the past quite a bit, uh, they said it just hasn't been successful. And, you know, I'm not going to ask people to invest in something that I don't think I can make successful. So we were able to, uh, to, to look at each one of those teams that failed and saw why they failed. And it was for reasons that we felt we could control. Um, and, you know, when we got here, um, we, we got here with a group that was very, very generous and in, in, in investment group that that really um, saw my vision for hockey in Jacksonville. Yeah. But the majority partner was looking to retire and, and said, you know, I'll do this for a few years, you know, but your dream is to have local ownership and, and you know, we'll, we'll work that out. And we did this past summer. We have Andy Kaufman, who's come on. Uh, he's He moved his family here, I think, 18, 19 years ago. Moved a business here. Has since sold the business. Uh, big sports fan. Big baseball, big hockey fan. Um, bought the um, Fort Myers team uh, and single A, the Minnesota Twins affiliate, the Miracle. And um, and then this past summer, finished the deal to... to uh, uh, to buy the Iceman and and bring in all his partners, including me, our local people that live here in Jacksonville, and that are you know dedicated to keeping this team here in the long run. And you know what? With the way the fans have responded, that's an easy chore. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, we're averaging over six thousand a game since since we started. It's crazy. Know? And uh, crazy. So good. that's that's awesome. You know, Fantastic. Um, my role is is um, has been to oversee. The operation of the Iceman and both on and off the ice, and uh, and now I'll be taking that same role on the baseball side of things. Though not in, in baseball is a little different. Uh, we have really no say in in the baseball end of it. That's the Minnesota Twins, who have provided Fort Myers with a very competitive team for the last few years. Um, but really, to, to to try to generate the same kind of excitement that we have here in Jacksonville every time the Iceman come onto the ice and do that in Fort Myers. So, yeah, getting busy, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Andy's been a great guy. 
and uh, we really want to make this work for for the city, for him, for his partners, and uh, and and the same thing with the baseball team in Fort Myers. That's awesome stuff. Uh, Bob Arabo with us from the Jacksonville Iceman, and uh, had a game this morning. He's been here since three thirty. Uh, did you pack any lunches? Throw some apples, turkey sandwiches in? I did. <laughs> I did. I did a few sections. Even the old guy could do it. You know. <laughs> we had we had about, uh, and I I really have to take my hat off to to my staff and, and our intern squad. They were here just as early as I was, actually some more earlier than I was, uh, getting this all set for the kids that came in today. And they've been working around the clock on this on this night and, and on every one of our nights. And, uh, you know, I could never do any of this without them. And, you know, Scott Einhorn and people like that that yeah. really, really um, are the nuts and bolts of our organization. Yeah, so my good people it's, uh, that, that make it work. Uh, they, why can't can you only do a certain amount of these days in a year? The school days. The school days. Is that is there a league limit? No, there's no league limit at all. Um, you know, but but in working closely with the school districts and the principals and the different schools, I, I think we had five school districts represented here today. Um, you know, uh, they're limited on the number of field trips they can do. Okay. So yeah. so it makes sense to do one day, and this is the day that they pick. They we we give them the choice of dates or weeks, and then we make sure the league puts that date on our schedule. Um, and it's worked out. We started with 5,000 kids. We went to uh, just under 9,000 last year, and this year we had 12,000. Awesome. So, you know, um, it's a real credit to everybody on my staff. It's a real credit to the school districts and the, and the teachers because we do mix in education with these games too. There's a nice booklet the kids get where they tie hockey into their plans. Teachers have helped us write that book. And uh, and then throughout the game, we have trivia questions and stuff that really challenge kids from an educational standpoint as well. Bob, be honest. Which uh, atmosphere is louder? A bunch of kids missing school today or, like, playoff fans, uh, you know, when, when it's a close mm. game? You know what? It, it, it comes in almost at a tie. Okay. The difference is the kids have a higher pitch. Ah, there we go. A little more of an <laughs> home field advantage. I wasn't sure it was going to survive the entire uh, the entire day, but uh, yeah. but it did. That's awesome. Well, congratulations on the record crowd. I know you want to get some wins uh, tomorrow night. Back at it Saturday as well. Yeah, again, we're we're back uh, here tomorrow night against Marvel the Jersey night. Spider Man. After, uh, after today's man. game, we owe Atlanta a few a few uh, a, a loss for for them. And uh, and then we have uh, the Marvel Knight and the Orlando Solar Bears, the dreaded Solar Bears. So you know our goal is to is to always beat teams in our division, always beat every game. But but uh, there's a special rivalry between us and the Solar Bears. Absolutely, so fans like who come it. are going to see a lot of fireworks. Well, good like work. It. Keep up the good work. It's awesome. Thanks for having us out here. We'll be out here a bunch of times. Oh, yeah. And uh, we're in the Iceman Jersey. We uh, we love being out here uh, with the Jacksonville Iceman. Well, Bob Arabo. I just want to say thank you to you two guys. You guys are awesome. Thank you very much for having us. Tomorrow night, Saturday night, Jacksonville Weissman. We'll talk a little bit more football plus cheating in sports. How many times did Austin Lane do it in the trenches? I can only imagine. Statute of limitations is in fact or are we good? We know we did it on the golf course. It's coming up next on ESPN 690. You never know with a guy coming back that's been off for so long. And your goal early on in the game especially is to, you know, especially if the quarterback's been playing a long time or he's his first game back, is to gain confidence early. And so, um, you know, we're going to do some things that he's comfortable with and, and, you know, try to get, you know, obviously, you know, some things going early that we think we can have success with. He's going to be anxious to get back out there and play as well. So we just got to make sure we control those emotions. Uh, he and I have talked about that and take it one play at a time. Oh, come on. Throw everything at him. Let's go, Flip. Get him rolling. 
Get to page 64 of that playbook if you need to. It's the biggest game of the year. You can't hold anything back now. Don't Brent. hold anything back. Leave it all out there. All those kind of uh, cliches. But that's John DeFilippo, Jaguars offensive coordinator. And, and this is, listen, as fun as uh, Gardner Minshew was and Minshew mania and, and all that, uh, everything we've talked about, this is a little bit of what was built for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Right or wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, who knows? Yeah. But this is what was built. So let's see it. Uh, I'm ready for it. Uh, I, I I just don't know we have a good feel of what this flip folds offense is going to look like, the connection. And and in and, and fairness here, I might be saying it, it might not look that different. I mean, Gardner Minshew might have run most of that offense and did a good job running it. Mm-hmm. So it might not. Uh, but we don't know is my point. And uh, we will see a little bit more of it in the connection. And I think there is a little bit of that, right? I mean, there, there's a vibe of a guy, a play caller, and a quarterback. And getting on the same page and, and knowing what they do best. I mean, Foles talked about it yesterday. Frank Reich. Reich said, hey, you know what? Stop. No, don't do that in the playbook. Do what Foles does well. And he, yeah. he kept bringing up the read and react stuff. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? Like the read and react in, te- in terms of don't don't just make a play that might look good on paper, but make well, a play no, that no, fits that's, his ability? Well, yeah, so it, it's a little bit of both here. Because if you're uh, an offensive coordinator or you're calling the plays, you can say, you can draw something up on the board and it would look 100%. Like, oh, yeah, th- this play can't fail. Absolutely. No matter what a defense throws at us, this is the money play right here. Well, to be told, sometimes ego gets in the way a little bit and that play can be stopped. So I think it's sometimes where... You know, they always say an offensive coordinator, they have a game script, right? So when the game starts, they have maybe 10 to 12 plays that they want to start out with. And and that's how the script goes. Then from there, some guys have the philosophy of, okay, in the second, third quarters, you know, pending the games close, we'll call these plays and things of that nature. Well, sometimes you kind of have to go off of what the defense is giving you. I think sometimes what, what they're referring to here is the fact that sometimes an offensive coordinator's ego is up there where it's like, I don't care what the defense is doing. Our offense can't be stopped. Let's go at them. Yeah. You know, um, at the same time where you have to understand, all right, the defense is maybe in the nickel package or something like this, and you kind of have to a- analyze everything. And, and it's two schools of thought. It's one school of thought that says, you know what, let's take what the defense gives us, and the other school of thought is our offense cannot be stopped. I don't care what they have. Yeah, it's it's an interesting way to do it. I think we all do it. I mean, I, heck, I do it in our business a lot. I mean, you write something down for a, a script or a story, and, and then you read it out loud, and you're like, that looks yeah. better on paper. <laughs> You know, yeah, that sounded yeah. better on paper. Yeah. I mean, we do it all the time with the show. Like, hey, oh, this I know. is going to be a fun topic. Let's go get into this. I can't Usually wait for this Usually all the segments that I bring up, yeah. And it sucks. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, we'll do some topic. Like, all right, well, let's just fill some time here. That'd Chicken sandwiches, yep. <laughs> <laughs> that's what happens. So, yeah. uh, um, well, that's part of it, right? And yeah. I'll tell you what, the latter is more fun. Oh, of You course. know, the one that you didn't plan, and then it becomes organic. And, yeah. and, and that's like the most fun part about doing yeah. the show for me, in fact. So I'm, I wonder if that's like a, a from a football offensive coordinator, a, someone putting a script out there mm-hmm. and kind of that stuff's like, well, we're just going to kind of try this. And yeah. We're not sure about this, but then it really works. Those are the most fun things. Those are organic um, developments, if you will, on the football field or for us in a segment or wherever it might be in your line of work. And I think that that is more fun. It's almost more rewarding in a sense. You're absolutely right. It is more fun. It is more rewarding. But let's be honest, it is more challenging as well because you still have to analyze of what that offense or what that defense is giving you. And if you're incorrect or if you fall for, you know, if, if you take the cheese, basically, well, then you can look kind of foolish. So um, it is more fun. It is more rewarding. But it also it is more challenging. All right. We are about to with Nick Foles compare the Eagles teams that he jumped in and was a part of 
Uh, so I took 2017. Okay, just 17. The Super Bowl, yeah. So this year's Jags team. Correct. Uh, and what he's about to jump in with. So yes. we're going to get that in a moment, but first let's hit the happy hour horn here on a Thursday. Drink, grab a shot, tip your star tenders. Oh, you could maybe do that a little bit more at Murray State this weekend, the Hall of Fame celebration than you could Ooh. the last time. I didn't think about that. I still have to read my speech first, and then we'll do that later. <laughs> <laughs> no fight upcoming. Yeah. At least that we know of. Well, I know. It could be a short notice. So yeah. I, have to, I have to mind the P's and Q's a little bit. Yeah, here, you have to be a little yeah. careful. So lay off those chicken sandwiches. <laughs> hey, Vita Delury recently got a 98 rating. Locally owned tequila right here in Jacksonville. Check out all the Vita Delouis social media and the website, VitaDelouis.com. Make your own recipes with Vita Delouis tequila. One of the smoothest tequilas you will ever taste. Made in Tequila, Mexico and shipped directly to Jack's Beach. VitaDeLuis.com. Three flavors now as well. Blanco, Reposado, and Añejo. And by the way, they're uh, sponsors of the Jacksonville Iceman as well. I saw them on the boards over there. Vita DeLuis. So uh, very good. All right, let's go back. Here's what I want to do. The Foles Jags of 2019 that he's about to rejoin Correct. versus the Foles Eagles where they went to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And they are different circumstances. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is actually a little bit more like the circumstance of last year in terms of record, right? The Eagles were 11 and 2, I think, when Foles took over for Wentz 2017 and they made that run. It was a few games down the stretch and then it was the big, big playoff run. Correct. Here in Jacksonville, they're 4 and 5 and He's obviously trying to get this football team into the postseason. Yeah, and to be fair, I could have you know broken down the 2018 team as well, but let's be honest, Brent, Super Bowls are fun, yeah, right? Are fun. And Super Bowls are the final goal. So uh, I went with the 2017 Eagles offense, and I compared it to the 2019 Jacksonville Jaguars offense. So let's start with the most boring position, the big uglies. Let's get it out of the way before we get into the exciting stuff. And when you're comparing offensive lines of what Foles had back in 2007 compared now to the Jaguars in 2000. 2019. And keep in mind, these are the numbers from the entire season of the Eagles. So Carson Wentz was around for a lot of this, too. And you could say maybe the offense uh, evolved a little bit with, with Nick Foles, which I think it did. But this kind of kind of shows you just what we're working with here in terms of um, the type of players and you know the, the performances that they're giving. So to kind of set the record straight here, the 2017 Eagles offense, they were third in the NFL when the season was over and rushing. They allowed two sacks per game. Um, and they had two pro bowlers in Lane Johnson and Brandon Brooks. So not too shabby. When you compare that with the Jacksonville Jaguars of this year so far, we're nine games in right now. The Jacksonville Jaguars are actually ranked ninth in rushing, which is kind of surprising because you think of Fournette, you know, he's number two right now um, as a running back, but they are ranked ninth in rushing, and they also average 2.4 sacks a game, which is a little higher than the average that the that the Eagles had. And as far as the pro bowlers are concerned, I mean, we can go, you know, through the line. Brent, do you see a pro bowler right now in the Jacksonville Jaguars offensive line? Offensive line? Yeah. I think it's a bit of a stretch. Exactly. I, I, I just don't know enough. Now, listen, is Brandon Linder playing at that level? 
I feel like he's played pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, my guess is, though, some of those early penalties in the first month of the year, I think he was a part of that. Uh, I don't know if people want to admit that because everybody likes to complain about Linder and his inability to stay healthy over the years in the big contract. But I would say overall from front to back, he's probably been their most consistent guy because I haven't heard about him. <laughs> That's really all that yeah. I would say. So I, to answer your question bluntly, no. Probably not, right? So you're you're facing two pro bowlers on the Eagles versus zero versus Jacksonville. And you're who facing. Was it? You remember who was it on the Eagles? Yeah, I said it was uh, Lane Johnson and Brandon Brooks. I mean, uh, Lane Johnson. Yep. Lane Johnson. Well, Lane Johnson, Brandon Brooks, who was the right guard at the time. So yeah, two pro bowlers. You're averaging more rushing yards per game, and you're giving up less sacks per game. So obviously, right there, Brent advantage uh, Eagles offensive line. But to be fair, as far as the pass protection is concerned. Not that far off. You know, going from 2.0 sacks a game for the Eagles compared to 2.4, so not bad considering, you know, Foles has to stay upright and has to stay healthy. Okay. So the next we went with the running backs. You know, and, and this was, uh, to me, this was probably the most telling one in the fact that it's completely different what the Eagles did and what the Jaguars yeah. did, right? And so you've always said there are two groups on yeah. offense, right? I mean, it's the tight ends and the running backs. Exactly. So if we're talking about the running backs here, the Eagles relied more of a three-headed monster, right? They had Corey Clement, they had J.A. Ajayi, and they had LeGarrette Blount. Um, each back essentially did the same thing. They all ran the same kind of, um, you know, blocking schemes with those running backs uh, to the extent except Corey Clement and obviously J.H.I. were more used in the passing game. Now here's an interesting fact though about that whole thing. When Carson Wentz was the quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles back in 2017, this is surprising the running backs in the passing game were not utilized. They, they actually averaged, I think they were like towards the bottom fourth of the NFL in terms of receptions per running back You know, per running back uh, receptions per game. It wasn't until Nick Foles entered the fray where, during the playoffs, Corey Clement and Jay Ajayi combined for 12 receptions apiece in the playoffs. Hmm. So their numbers in terms of getting the running back the ball, especially in the passing game, drastically went up when Nick Foles was in the ah, game. Ah, good research with, right there, with, man. With that three-headed monster. I like that. So there you go. I'm, I'm hanging on to that one uh, right are there. Are you here? Are you coming with me now? Okay. One. So I have your hey, attention now? I am the owner of the Sunshine and Rainbows Clubs here in Jacksonville. So I have your attention now. So right, great, I great, say great. clubs because we've expanded. We have to get a new facility. <laughs> so then this this kind of begs the question right now, where in terms of better running back than Leonard Fournette, would you take Leonard Fournette or the three-headed monster? Well, let's break down uh, Leonard Fournette's numbers real quick. Leonard Fournette averaging 92.3 yards a game, mm-hmm. just below 100 yards a game. And as far as his receptions are concerned, we don't know how many receptions he's going to have with Foles yet because we don't have those numbers. But if you compare him to the receptions right now that Leonard Fournette has on the team, it is almost dead even compared to the the, the running backs in the playoffs. The running back committee. When back when committee. yeah when Nick Foles played um in the playoffs. So it's, it's exactly pretty much the same. So it begs the question: Do you want the three-headed monster or do you want Leonard Fournette? Because honestly, it's Brent. I'm telling you, the numbers are pretty much even right now. Give me the three backs again. Yep, no problem. Corey Clement, J. A. Ajayi, and Legarrette Blount. Well, listen, as a top back, I'll take Leonard Fournette over over those guys. Without a doubt. Even well, I mean, Legarrette Blount has some really good moments. I mean, from not well, only Philadelphia but the Patriots and all those things. But I just think as a workhorse guy, mm-hmm. as a go-to guy, I'll take Leonard Fournette. But what I think you have to ask yourself is, Leonard Fournette's this downhill guy. Well, LeGarrette Blunt gives you that, right? He's giving Correction. you that downhill. Yeah, correct. Uh, the, the thing the Jags don't have in their backfield at their disposal is the other styles. Yeah. And Philly had that. 
Correct. Yeah. I mean, I mean especially Corey Clement, right? Yeah. Corey, Corey Clement was really like the kind of like that Darren Sproles type. He yeah. was like that James White Poor type. Poor man Sproles. Exactly. He was like that James White type of the New England Patriots. And to be fair, you know, I guess if you're asking which one I would take, I actually prefer the Belkov Leonard Fournette really? over Legarrette, and just for this reason, because to me Legarrette Blunt he has the Carlos Hyde effect. When when Carlos Hyde's in for the Houston Texans. Nine times out of ten, unless it's a screen or something like that, it's probably going to be a run. That's good call. And now, the question is, can you stop it, though? The Eagles had a great offensive line where they could run the ball, so LeGarrette Blunt, who's a mammoth of a man, I played in the senior bowl with him, he, he's hard to stop. Yeah, yeah. So they had that going for them. There's a little bit of a tell, though, when he's in the game. Exactly. Yeah. But I think from the Jaguars' perspective right now, who doesn't have the offensive line like we just discussed, of like the Eagles do, I think it's better having a guy that's kind of the jack-of-all-trades as opposed to having that three-headed monster. When Corey Clemenson, you probably know it's going to be a pass. J.H.I. is a little more balanced. Could be a run. Could be a pass. And then, obviously, when you have LeGarrette Blunt, more than likely it's going to be a run. So I'll take Leonard Fournette here. That's interesting. Uh, the one thing I will say in LeGarrette Blunt's favor, I, I believe now, now, this is me just kind of remembering sure. more so than looking. Uh, the Jags have struggled in the red zone to run the football. Correct. The Jags have sometimes struggled to get in the end zone. Leonard Fournette has, I think, one touchdown this year. LeGarrette Blunt, when he got the football around the 2-3 yard line, yeah. if I remember correctly, he got in the damn end zone. No, absolutely, you're absolutely so right. So that, and, and that, that is a part of the game. Teams. And yeah. that's one of the big problems with this football team in Jacksonville right now yeah. is that red zone stuff. So you got to... Uh, Again, well, I, I don't know who you take, but let's just say it's from a three-versus-one standpoint, mm-hmm. there's a comparable nature to it yeah. because Fournette can still catch the ball out of the backfield. He does give you all three phases in sure. terms of pass protection, running the football, and catching it. Uh, but I think you could also argue either way. Okay, I'll take it because Blunt gives me this and Clement gives me this, and I like rotating the three guys in. Well, uh, But and, I think it's a comparable situation in totality. Well, and there is something to be said for that three-headed monster as well, Brent, of just getting some reps on the sidelines and getting your breath back. Because yeah, yeah. We, we've seen how many times where Leonard Fournette breaks off a 60-70 yard run, and all of a sudden they bring in Armstead, and not to knock Armstead right now, but he hasn't got the reps, right? Like he, I don't think he's been necessarily acclimated yet to the NFL. I think he's done a fair job when asked to do I think stuff, he's but, been but you're okay right. Job, but he, hasn't know, got, right? he, he doesn't have the reps, so we don't know what he's capable of. So from that standpoint, maybe the three-headed monster is beneficial in the fact that if you're driving the ball, you can get those guys the reps. I'm always looking for reasons, and, and you just brought up a good one. You know, Leonard Fournette's constant carries. Mm-hmm. You almost wonder, in a, you know, usually when you're down in the red zone, right, uh, or down near the one, two, three-yard line, that's late in the drive. That's like nine, ten, eleven plays into the drive. You have to wonder his inability or, or you know, his the fact that he doesn't come out of the game very often. Oh, I know. How fresh is he at the end of a drive? I've never really thought about it until you just said that, yeah. and I might be making excuses for Fournette. No, but I don't, it's just I, I don't part of it are, because Brent. they don't have that. They they have started to use Raquel Armstead a little bit more in terms of spelling him. Uh, they started to in the last month, but maybe they even need to do more of it to save some of the legs late in a drive. Forget about late in a game, late yeah. in a drive. Well, listen, this is a copycat league, Brendan. Outside of, I think, Ezekiel Elliott, I really can't name another back who just gets the amount of touches, you know, first through third down like Leonard Fournette gets. Because, like, even Alvin Kamara, they saw Latavius Murray. You know I mean? You can go up and down the list. Even, I think, Bell um, in, in New York is getting backed up. I forgot the guy's name, but he's, like, the third down back. How about like, Saquon, maybe? Yeah, well, I guess Saquon and Ezekiel. Sa- Saquon's a good point there, yeah. But, uh, that's a good one. He's a bell cow. But I think the trend, especially the teams that go to the Super Bowl, Brent, they have the thing in common where there's more than one guy. That's a good call. So then we're going to the wide receiver. Well, we're going to the receiving core in general. Let's just not go to the tight ends. Well, and Do we have to even go this there? Is, this is why I said receiving core, because I, I want to include everybody. Because if I said tight ends, spoiler alert, like, Philly's got the advantage. But but who let's, did, uh, they had Ertz. Yeah. 
So they the, didn't have Goddard then, though, right? The, the, uh, they did not have Goddard. They had Ertz, they had Selleck, and they had Trey Burton. Oh, Trey Burton, and obviously well, Trey forget Burton about? was yeah. was big in that film yeah. special, absolutely. Obviously. Yeah. Uh, but Selleck had lost it, right? So, yeah, I mean, Selleck was on the back nine of his career, only had 13 receptions the entire season. Okay, so, yeah, so nothing... but it was the Ertz, and, and they could really use Burton in a variety of ways. Correct. Yeah, and so when we, when we analyze the receiving core in general, once again, I'm including the tight ends and wide receivers together just for the sake of the argument, because if they didn't do that, it would make the Jaguars look pretty bad. But in terms of the receivers uh, for the Philadelphia Eagles, and keep in mind, this is the entire season, not just Nick Foles, but also with Carson Wentz. Zach Ertz, in that John DiFilippo kind of Doug Peterson offense, Zach Ertz was the leading receiver. Now, he, he didn't get over 1,000 yards, though. Only 824 uh, yards for their, their leading receiver, their tight end. That's big money out of a tight end, though. It, it, yeah, it absolutely is. The, the second-place guy, once again, not over 1,000 yards, though. 768 yards for Nelson Aguilar. How many catches? Uh, he had 62. Okay. And, and uh, Ertz had how many? Uh, Ertz had 74. Okay. Yep, and uh, Zach Ertz led the team in catches as well. And I'm sorry. Led the team in targets uh, to go along with that. Third place then going to Elshon Jeffrey. 54, I'm sorry, 57 receptions for 789 yards. And then Torrey Smith was at, kind of towards the bottom, who's their third receiver, 36 receptions, 430. So they yards. had three guys over 50 receptions. Correct. Right now, the Jaguars, if you look at their roster, they are on pace with, uh, I think Didi has 32 catches. I think yep. Chark has 43. Good, and I correct. think Leonard Fournette has 40. So they're probably on pace for three guys to go over 50 catches. Wow, and you're, you're not even cheating as I am right now. I'm looking at the stats. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So DJ Chark has 43 receptions with 692 yards. Yeah. So, you know, with, with a few more games to play, one could argue, depending how he does, maybe we might see a guy go over 1,000 yards there. What's well, Conley got? How many catches? Chris Conley's got 23 receptions for 461 yards. I'll be really interested now. He's only got seven games versus nine games, but 23 yeah. catches. Could he get the 50? Could they have four guys over 50 catches? Yep. That would be a lot for the Jags. Sure. I mean, I feel like there's been years where the Jags haven't had anybody over 50 catches. Yep. So uh, I guess in closing on my theory here is the fact that, listen, the leading tight end right now is Sean to see with 14 receptions. Okay, and, and and guess what? And he's, he's been he, out for a month. And, and he's out now. He's so, been out for a month. So th- this begs More the question. And then this begs the question: Who's going to replace a Sean? Well, who's going to replace the tight end spot? Because Josh Oliver, we don't know about him right now. Um, so from that perspective, someone's got to get those targets. Someone's got to get those catches. And when I break it down, obviously Chris Conley, you can make an argument for getting more receptions. And I still think Leonard Fournette, yeah, especially with that. Foles coming back, using the running back. Especially, you know, when, when things start to panic a little bit, you get nervous. The running back is a great uh, go-to for a check down. But when you compare these numbers, Brent, and this is this is probably the craziest stat of all. When you compare the numbers to the Jaguars receivers to the Eagles receivers, it's pretty much it's. I'm talking about receiving overall. Now, yeah. yes, the tight end position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, the Eagles blow the Jaguars out of the water. But I'm saying when you complete the, the top three receivers, the top four receivers, including Fournette, compare those to the Eagles receivers. Right now, the Jacksonville Jaguars are on pace for maybe better or just about the same as the Eagle receivers. That's did. pretty wild. It's it's insane. That's yeah, pretty wild. So well, they're, they're... keep in mind these numbers for the Eagles are coming from the playoff numbers as well that, that I gave you. Yeah. So those are including playoff games up into the Super Bowl. Wow. Wow, and that's where they really got hot. Yes. Uh, the, the deficiency right now is definitely the tight end. Correct. You could complain if you don't have a stud offensive lineman like a pro bowler, but I, I, I think that's I think that's debatable. I mean, I think the Jags offensive line is pretty good. Was was Phillies better overall? I think you'd have to give them the nod there, but how much better? Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I don't believe the Jags offensive line is an eyesore. 
I, I think the big difference is here when you compare what he's walking into offensively is the fact that they don't have the multiple backs and they don't have a tight end. I mean, Josh Oliver has to start doing something for us to include him yeah. in the tight end game. But again, that's possible improvement in this offense because, yes, yeah, six games he was down, but for the last three, it's not like Gardner Minshew got him involved. Mm-hmm. Now, Gardner Minshew, Filippo, Oliver himself, who knows? I'm just saying it didn't happen. So now games four through... Uh, what would that be, 10 yeah. of his career, does Nick Foles get Josh Oliver more involved? Yep. That's going to be something that we could see that would be certainly different than what we have seen. And what are all these numbers telling us? I mean, what is all this data really telling us here, Brent? I think the craziest thing that you can take away if you're a Jaguars fan is the fact that if you analyze the numbers when Foles came in and the fact he was throwing a lot to his running backs, the fact that he threw a lot to his tight end, well, we don't have a tight end in Jacksonville right now, okay? But you can kind of go out and say... In theory, that when Gardner Minshew came in, John Filippo gave him the Nick Foles plan for that 2017 Super Bowl run. Because if you look at it, Leonard Fournette got a lot of reps, right? Um, the, the one receiver, DJ Chark, he got, got a lot of targets. But the other guys, not so much, right? It was basically just one guy. So, And there was no tight end to throw to, let's be honest. So from that perspective, Brent, I think right now the biggest question is, okay, Gardner Minshew came in and you, you gave him kind of like the Nick Foles condensed version of that 2017 season. What does the wide version look like now for Nick Foles, who is necessarily kind of like the Carson Wentz now, that 2017 team, yeah, where it's cool. the whole playbook? So from that perspective, I'm curious to see what happens. Yeah, uh, very interesting. Uh, I've got one more question when we come back uh, on that. We'll do a little falling and getting to cheating in sports, yeah. uh, plus a little rapid fire on what we've already talked about here on the day and to stay in your lane. We've got about 45 minutes to go, really less than that. We are hanging out with the Jacksonville Iceman today. Iceman lost this morning in front of a record crowd, a bunch of screaming kids, 12,000 of them here at uh, Veterans Memorial Arena. So we're having some fun here on Action Sports Shacks. On the road, once again, we'll be back on ESPN 690. When you play quarterback, I think you do see the game a little bit differently. I, I do. Well, you see it more from a big-picture standpoint because as a quarterback, you have to be concerned about the protection, about the routes, about the sights, about the hots, about you know the play calls coming in, getting ready, understanding how to get ready for a game. You know, as a player, getting your routine down, which is very similar to to coaches. When you've experienced that for so long, and those both those guys that you know, Coach Peterson and Coach Reich had such long careers. I think all those things I mentioned have, at least from those two guys that you mentioned, I think have, have I would say has really helped them. But you'd have to ask them. Well, that's Coach John Filippo, the offensive coordinator of the Jacksonville Jaguars. He was there in Philadelphia with Nick Foles when they won the Super Bowl a couple years back, and we just got done dissecting that 2017 Eagles team versus this year's Jags team. You know, similar situations in a in a different kind of sense where Nick Foles is coming off the bench. He came off the bench in 17, leads him to a Super Bowl. Came off the bench last year for, for Carson Wentz, yep. and he leads him into the playoffs. Not Super Bowl, but he got a playoff win. Uh, you would sign up for that right now. Not the Super Bowl one. You would sign up for get into the playoffs and get a, a playoff win. Yeah. Right? Correct. Absolutely you would sign up for that. Yes. I mean, that would be outstanding. And, and again, you can, although the cliches come into play, if you get in there, you never know what happens and blah, 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 blah. But how does this team stack up like on paper that Nick Foles is walking back into versus those? And I think there is one intangible here that he did not necessarily have in 17. He might have had more in 18 because of the resume after winning the Super Bowl and raising the trophy that he had the trust of his teammates and the acknowledgement that this guy's good, man. We can ride with this guy. Well, here in Jacksonville, he was able to build that foundation with so many of his teammates in the spring and in in August. And I think he's so well-respected that – 
it's not this curiosity. In 17, my guess is in Philadelphia is like, okay, what are we going to get here? Let's see what Carson we got. Wentz just yeah. went down and we were 11 and 2. Uh oh. Mm-hmm. It was more of an uh oh than, than, oh, I can't wait till Nick Foles gets in. Yeah. In 18, for them, it was probably like, hey, let's roll. Let's go. He yeah. got us to a Super Bowl. We might go back now. We can get to the playoffs. There's this confidence. And I think the Jags have that similar confidence as maybe the Eagles had last year versus 17. And when you want to compare the 17 Eagles, the 18 Eagles, and now this, this year's Jacksonville Jaguars, you also have to bring up the point that the fact that what was like their biggest thing that the Eagles were preaching for both playoff runs? There's the fact that they're underdogs, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, like Long was rocking the the, the, the whatever the, the German Shepherd mask and everything that's like right, that. That's right. Yep. They were the underdogs, and sometimes kind of like that. I mean, as, as crazy as it may seem, Brent, it's it's a little gimmick, but sometimes just being the underdog and relaying that in your mind over and over again as a team that can bring you guys together. Now, yes, Nick Foles had a big part of that as well, but being the underdog the whole time, I felt like gave a little extra motivation and. All things considered, right now, I would consider the Jacksonville Jaguars, what we've seen so far, the underdogs. You know, I think they're, they're the underdog. a three-point dog on Sunday. Well, they are a three-point <laughs> dog on Sunday, and I think they're an underdog to make the playoffs. So if the Jaguars do make the playoffs, a lot of things got to happen yet. But I think they're going to still have that kind of same uh, underdog mentality that the Eagles had. All right. I like their comparison. It's mostly on the offensive side. The defense, is, uh, the defense of Philadelphia in 17, by the way, was good. I know they gave up a bunch of points in the in the Super Bowl yeah. to New England, but they actually were opportunistic and very good. Uh, so they could pick up the slack in some respects. The other intangible part is how many big plays down the stretch. You know, it comes to mind is the Chicago game last year in the playoffs mm-hmm. where Nick Foles gets the two-point conversion, right? Yeah, yeah. You have to have the clutch nature. The roster doesn't matter at that point. You have to just be able to go make a play, and Nick Foles has now proven over the last couple of years he can make a play. And much like Gardner Minshew made a play in Denver, Will Nick Foles be in a situation in these final seven games where he's going to have to step up and make some plays? Well, he's proven he can do it. Now we'll see if he can do it in a Jags uniform. Exactly. Listen, when the playoffs start, Brent, it's a different ball game. It's a different kind of mentality, and sometimes the most talented rosters – they don't advance, right? Whether it's weather being a factor, whether it's just the game calling, whatever, whatever, whatever it is. Injuries, yeah. yeah, a lot of things happen, but that's when the mentality, that's when being a gamer comes about, right? Like, yeah, sure, you can be a gamer in the regular season as well, but that's when being a gamer really makes a precedent and then the playoffs, and um, I think Nick Foles, all things considered, should be a gamer. Well, by the makes way, it there. this is playoff football right now for the Jags. Correct. It, it's, it's weird to say it's seven games out. They have no choice. Mm-hmm. The Jags playoffs start November uh, 15th, 16th, 17th. November 17th. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's essentially what happens. This is becoming a playoff game uh, for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Maybe a double elimination kind of playoff tournament because yeah. they could probably lose once at, yep. and maybe twice, but but probably just once. Yeah, just once. If so um, it's like a double elimination tournament, uh, and the playoffs are on for the Jacksonville Jaguars. All right, we uh, we did balling a long, long time ago. Wanted to get to the I remember. The Eagles I was thing. there. Let's get the following real quick because yeah. we'll bring up cheating in sports, and I want to go there for a couple minutes. But first, yours. Oh, here, man. First, yes. all right. Brent, so fallen. I'm going to be honest, man. It's actually myself. Because why, I mean, I'll be honest, and I'm making up excuses here, but I'm, I'm a busy guy, right? Like, I, I try to do well on the show, do my research, do my homework. Um, you know, I have a fighting career as well i got to focus on, and I'm trying to be a badass dad, trying to be a badass husband. So, you know, there's a lot on my plate. I'm not trying to make excuses, but I have, uh, I guess I've kind of ignored maybe the, the staple. You know, wh- what gives the fans the most boost when they listen to us? I'm talking to the 690 Syndicate out there listening right now, Brent. The, the, the one segment that fans just gravitate to and always want more, and I haven't done it in a long time, so I'm going to do it uh, right now, actually. Kuz, give me the music. Box score breakdown. It's the TJ McConnell box score breakdown. TJ McConnell. 
Box score breakdown. How many points? How many assists? How many rebounds? How many steals? Well, I'm going to tell you right now. It's the TJ McConnell box score breakdown. And scene coups, thank you. Just think about that right now. I guess we have, oh, to have some it has new been a while. It's been a long time, you know, and we have to have some new music, I guess, because he's not in Philly anymore. So why are we playing the Rocky That's music? That's a good point. Because That's Clues on me. still loves him, man. Clues still does love him. And you know what, Brent? He was with the 76ers last year. He said, you know what? I've had enough cheesesteaks. Philly's always been a football town. I want to go someplace else. I want to go to Indianapolis. I want to go play for the Pacers. I want to bathe in the waters of Lake Petonka, and I want to wash myself of the filliness, and I want to be in a state that's all about basketball. Because if you've been to Indiana, that's all they do there is basketball. And is the that occasional... really a lake in Indianapolis? Yeah, absolutely, dude. Oh. Trust me, I did my research, man. I did my homework. <laughs> so, but let's go to the TJ McConnell box score breakdown. First time this year, real quick. TJ McConnell last night in a victory over the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder. Who's going to like this? Guess what? This isn't your mom and dad's TJ McConnell. This guy's new, refreshing. 24 minutes, 3 of 8 from the field, 5 rebounds, 3 assists, 6 points. But then the fans are out there like wondering, well, Austin, what about the season stats? Because we want to know about TJ McConnell overall. Don't worry, guys. I, I got you say, covered. That box score was his season in Philly last year. Uh, exactly. That's what I'm saying. But don't worry. I got everybody covered. <laughs> Kuz, be paying attention. We got he's averaging 17 minutes a game, 6.2 points a game, 3.1 rebounds, and 4.5 assists. Do we call him MVP right now? Do we wait to see how the Pacers are doing? Pacers right now, 7-4, and TJ McConnell. Uh, in a new echelon of NBA talent, Brent. Kuz, uh, I'm saying this a, is rigged. Yeah, you should get a Pacers jersey, man. Well, How is no, it rigged? This is rigged because you didn't do the breaks the breakdown when he played against Detroit or Orlando where he had over 10 points both times and had almost 10 assists. Well, Kuz, I'll tell you right now, I just said he's averaging 6.2 points a game and 4.5 assists, so he obviously had some stinkers in there as well that I could have brought up just as easy. That's fair, but they have, they're on a four-game win streak, and he is a big part of that. I actually well, think McConnell, those numbers are pretty decent. They're higher than I expected them to be from TJ. Let's be careful about how big of an influence hey, he is, but okay. Against against Detroit, he had 17 points, 9 assists. He shot 80%, 8 for 10 for the field. Okay. Fair enough. All right. There's There's no your drama TJ McConnell update. <laughs> there's your TJ McConnell first, box score breakdown. First time in months. Oh, man. Uh, I, I, need, I, I need a cigarette, Brent. That, was, that took a lot out of me. That's for the 690 syndicate. That's for the 690 syndicate. You better believe it. probably consists of three people. Hey, Brent, we got some hardcore fans out there, man. Just, right. just start talking SEC football. They'll call them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Hey, my following, I, I kind of alluded to it already, but I wanted to evolve it a little bit more. Cheating in sports, and yeah. the Astros are under uh, the gun a little bit now and have not dismissed it, have not denied it. And not I think a they good learned look. from the GM situation where we're not going to go deny something, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden more evidence comes out, so let's go look at So I think they're handling that part of it okay. This doesn't look good, though. If you missed the whole case, this is really a couple days old now, and now Major League Baseball is going to do an investigation. They're going to get... Uh, people that have been around the organization, like even Carlos Beltran, mm-hmm. they're going to bring him in and talk to him and say, try to find this out. Listen, cheating in sports happens, okay? Mm-hmm. But there's unwritten rules about cheating. You know, my belief is a lot of the pitchers do use some kind of substance or whatever, or whether it's on their hat or their sleeve, uh, just to get a good grip, uh, sure. not just the old rosin bag. But sometimes go people go out of... Uh, 
over the top, and they get called on it. That still happens today uh, when it's too much, right? There's just too much of it going on. That's cheating. I mean, the bottom line is if they don't get caught or if they do get caught, it's still cheating, but people are bending the rules. That happens in sports, whether you like it or not. Sign stealing is more of an art. If you can kind of pick up what people are doing, that's on them. If somebody's tipping pitches, that's on them. And so that's just more information and intel. There's really no different than in your sport of football. If somebody kind of leans a certain way on a set from an offensive lineman before a snap, yeah. you might be able to get an indicator of what they're about to do. Well, even in like you know on the sidelines, if another coach like it's more in college football, obviously, but if they hold up like those giant now signs or, or or they're giving out you know signals, I mean, if another coach or another scout of the opposing team figures that out, good on them. Well, I think Florida, actually, I was wondering, they have sheets now that go up even behind them, sure. not just in front where the yeah. cameras might see, yeah. but the behind cameras. Yeah. So, they, I mean, they have really tried to stop all that. It's a, a little bit insane, in yeah. my opinion. Why don't we just have wristbands or something well, like that? Well, that, and then I'll, uh, I always find it interesting, too, like in baseball or even like in NFL sidelines, like head coaches calling plays, you know, they have the, the big playbook, the play sheet over yeah, their yeah, mouths. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, yeah, because, like, each team's got a scout that's just trying to key in, waiting for someone to mess up just so they can read lips a little bit. Come on. Well. But uh, you never know. Yeah, I, I got you. Got to cover all bases. I understand. You never know. But yeah. the, the bottom line is the tapping. Uh, the, the the Houston Astros are being accused of, or they've said they uh, people have said they did this mm-hmm. because former player um, was, was in the Athletics saying so uh, in in a, in an article that. They would tap once for a fastball or tap twice for a changeup or off speed, and that was after looking at video inside the tunnel. Yeah. And so they would tap, and the player would hear that, and, and then you know. And that's a big advantage. If you know an off speed pitch is coming <laughs> rather than a fastball when it's going 9,800 miles an hour, huge advantage mm-hmm. uh, to picking up the spin. And they have had a ton of success. I don't know where this is going. It certainly seems like there's a lot of smoke, which means there might be some fire here. Yeah. I don't know what they can do. You know, if I'm Houston, I'm like, you know what? Shame on us. We might get fined a couple million dollars, but we raised trophies and we won a lot of games the last few years doing this. Yeah. So it was worth it. Yep. Right? I mean, wouldn't you say if you're, if you're Houston, it's worth what they've done because it's not like the NCAA. You can't like revoke their World Series and give it to whoever, the the Dodgers or, or whatever it might be. You just yeah. don't do that in in Major League Baseball. So almost whatever happens to them, in my opinion, it was probably worth it. Does it make it right? Does it make you lose respect for the Astros? Absolutely, because over the years, if you've listened to me at all, you know I'm a, I'm a big Astros fan. I'm not yeah. I'm not an Astros fan, but I'm an Astros fan in terms of how they've built this thing, how they've done it, and how they reloaded that roster and built it for the long haul, and with all the players, and then added the Verlander pieces, you know, and the Cole pieces, and all the. They have done a brilliant job, and they're a fun team to watch. I love Jose Altuve. I like a lot of. The their players on their team but this does make you lose respect for them i mean all those things that i've said that i kind of like them from afar and appreciate what they are and who they are and what they've done well i lose a little bit of that quite frankly much like a lot of people did for the new england patriots even though they don't know how much it helped but they lost some respect for them i was just gonna say that right because what we're seeing from the houston astros like you mentioned brent because you're a big baseball guy Teams probably steal signs all the time, but the way the Astros went about it, using technology, using cameras, you know, that's a little, that kind of sets a, a precedent. So, from that perspective, that is different. 
Now, where does it fall on the justification? Is it like, is it a big deal or not? And I think if we want to compare it to the New England Patriots and Spygate, I think it's right along the same lines, right? If not worse, because you could argue, well, did Spygate really do anything for the New England Patriots? Well, you you can point to yes, it did a lot for the Astros because if you know a pitch is coming, that's the biggest advantage in baseball. So from that perspective. I don't know what you do, and I don't know uh, the fallout from this because I could sit here and say, well, do what the Patriots got done, take a first-round pick away. Well, in baseball, the picks are a little different, right? Like, yeah, yeah you, you don't want to lose a first-round pick in baseball, but it's not as detrimental to your team as it is in football. So it, it begs the question, what becomes of the, of the Houston Astros now? Because obviously something has to be done. Yeah, something's going to be done so it doesn't happen again. I just yeah. don't know. Like, again, $2 million in, in Major League Baseball, I mean, for an organization that's won, like, a – like 400 games, it feels like, in the last three years. Yeah. Uh, does pocket that matter? Pocket Probably change. not. Uh, th- again, they, they will, it will be a stain mm-hmm. regardless uh, if it's found to be true. But it, it won't even ring as much as the Patriots. One, NFL is different than, than baseball. It's more popular, so there's more people chiming in on it. Uh, there are some people I don't think that understand the nuances of stealing signs. Like, really, is that big a deal, you know? Yeah. But it is a big deal. And the way they went about it is a big deal. The integrity of the game, that's a big deal. You know, I mean, there have been people banned because of integrity of the game. Pete Rose, still not allowed into the Hall of Fame because of integrity of the game. And obviously betting on the game, this is different than that. But I'm just saying that integrity is a big word when it comes to sports. Especially baseball. And especially baseball. So uh, I think... uh, this if this would feel different almost even if it was the Yankees. See, the Patriots feels different because Patriots already were hated Belichick. They started winning too much. You compile all those things, and then you throw in the Spygate stuff that happened kind of in hindsight, right? Mm-hmm. That whole Spygate thing. Well, if the Yankees had done this, it would almost feel that way because the Yankees are that polarizing team. Yeah, they're you know? a team that you love to hate. Yeah, the Astros don't aren't like no, that. No, I, I think honestly, and it's crazy to say, but they're like America's sweethearts, I still feel like, just because the way they built their team, they had a lot of losing seasons, they built through the farm system, and when they were there, then they added the key pieces. I think that the Astros are a very lovable team, and I think people can identify with them. So I do agree with you here, but... But it's it's going to tarnish. Guess them. what? They're not lovable anymore. No, and what it's going to did now is make them not lovable. It's going to tarnish. It's kind of like Chicago, right? The Cubs are a lovable team, the lovable losers. But, once, me, they won, but yeah. once they won, it wasn't cool anymore. Support, now it's like, yeah, it wasn't cool anymore. All right, yeah. Cubs, I'm tired of Joe Madden. I'm tired, cool. of Rizzo. I'm tired of these guys. Forget about it. You sure. won. That was a cute story, but yeah. now it's over. Well, I think the Astros have put themselves kind of in a category like that now. They won't be hated across the board. They're still the Houston Astros. They're not the Yankees. They're not the Duke Blue Devils. They're not the, <laughs> the Dodgers or the Patriots. They're not those kind of teams, but they will now be disliked, I think, uh, amongst the masses, uh, depending on how this works out, too. Let's see where it goes. But uh, cheating in sports, how much did you cheat? That's a good question, man. How much did I cheat? Um, and I probably should have thought about this a little more when you prefaced this a couple segments ago. Honestly, so like to me, the big, especially in football, because that's what I'll be talking about, is football mostly. Because MMA, it's let's be, it's really hard to cheat in MMA because everything is pretty sanctioned. Like, yeah. for instance, when you're fighting in a cage or you're at a pro event, I mean, you can't even go to the bathroom without an official following you in the bathroom when your hands are wrapped, right? And you can, you can only have like two pieces of fruit. You can Tough only to drink go to water. the bathroom if your hands are wrapped. Well, it's hey, it's not the easiest part. Spoiler alert. But um, so it's very strict and. There's not really any ways you can cheat because, like, you can try to eye gouge somebody, kick someone below the belt, but yeah, you're going to get called. Right? Yeah, but that'll get called. So from the, the standpoint of football to me, and I guess MMA you can say the same thing, but the biggest form of cheating to me is obviously doing steroids. 
You know, it, it's obviously taking illegal supplements to try to give you a competitive advantage that's not natural. And I, I've said it before on this show, and I'll say it until the day I get put in the ground, man. I, I never cheated because um, a lot of it had to do with just the way I was raised, you know, with integrity. But also, and I told the story before, the biggest reason why I never did steroids is because they showed us this PSA video in high school gym class. And it was about a guy who did steroids, and then something happened where he had to get his leg amputated, and they showed the surgery of his leg getting amputated. Now, was that a true story? Maybe not. I don't know, but guess what? That video worked because I saw his leg getting chopped off. I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing steroids ever again. I'm never doing steroids ever in my entire life. And from that standpoint, I never did. So I always think uh, Lyle Elzado came to mind. Uh, they yeah. remember Raider every time I heard steroids. I, I know. Like, oh, yeah, for that sure. was a bad thing. Like, yeah. He was put in a bad light because yeah. of that. So it always felt like a bad deal. Yeah. Um, you think you would have uh, had a longer career? Or better oh, career sure. if you did steroids. Absolutely, you do. Absolutely, yeah. And and listen, there's they're prevalent in the NFL. I'm I'm, I'm never going to be a whistleblower and say like, oh, this guy's on steroids, this guy's on steroids. But it is prevalent, and and it does extend your your career. And if I look back on it now, you know, I mean, five years in. Um, would I have got more playing time? Absolutely. Should I have did it? Absolutely not. Because at the end of the day, I was happy. Um, the biggest thing for me was walking out of the game knowing that. I didn't cheat in that aspect. Now, to get back to the point of did I cheat at all in, in, in football, um, the only thing that really sticks out to me is uh, the, the, the cleats, right? Like when you, when you play in Chicago, when you play in Pittsburgh, there's kind of an unwritten rule where you're supposed to wear like the, 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 the screw-ins cleats, you know? Yeah. They're supposed to be like a half inch. Sometimes, you know, maybe some of the managers want to go to three-quarter, maybe the inch cleats, <laughs> but that, that's honestly probably the only thing I can think of at the moment. All right. Hey, uh, by the way, big weekend for you. Uh, you're off uh, to Murray State, going yeah. into the Hall of Fame. Big w- night last night, Casey Musgraves. Yeah. She won Female Vocalist of the Year, man. Yeah. No, that, that was impressive. Should have been Entertainer of the Year, but let's not get into that. And also, a prop, so it was my cruise control, Lil Nas X. For, for winning uh, his own CMA award, obviously taking off the Billboard country charts. He's back on. He wins the award. And also the first openly gay uh, musician to win a CMA. The uh, By the way, the there was a lot of entertainer of the year yeah. above because Eric Church, a lot yep. of people thought Marty Smith actually like, Eric Church should have won. Yeah. As long as Garth Brooks is ever in the entertainer of the year category, <laughs> he will and should always win. So apparently and I love Eric Church. Well, apparently there's a lot of backlash about Carrie Underwood not winning this. Com- you cannot compete. I'm- with hey, Garth Brooks from hey, an entertainer of the year. I'm just saying, Carrie, Carrie Underwood's uh, Sunday Night Football, entertaining. No, I would rather oh, I would rather listen to Eric Church music right now. Yeah. And I love Garth Brooks, but yeah. I'd rather listen to Eric Church music. And I've seen both of them multiple times. Yeah. Garth Brooks, it doesn't compare. All I'm saying is, when I'm watching Sunday Night Football and I, the intro starts, I don't want to see Garth Brooks' old, you know what, getting on there singing to me. I want to see Carrie Underwood, the, the, the musician that she is, the, the showman that she is. Props to Carrie Underwood. Hey, by the way, congratulations going into the Hall of Fame. Murray State, have a good weekend Thank there. Thank you, man. Yeah, I'll, I'll call in tomorrow, check yes. up with you guys a little bit, and uh, say hello for Murray. All right, Coos, sorry for blowing up the clock, man. Nice job back <laughs> there today. Uh, Iceman lose today, but come on out tomorrow night and Saturday night. It'll be Marvel Night. Spider-Man jerseys on Saturday night, both 7 o'clock. They drop the puck. We're going over to Jaguars All Access, Mellow Mushroom. Watch it on Fox 30 at 7 o'clock. Najee Good, Calais Campbell. Or come on out to Mellow Mushroom. Have a good night, everybody. See you on CBS 47 and Fox 30. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.